Welcome to episode 232 of the Overlook Hour. I'm your host, Clark Little. Along with me, as always, is the man over there in Oakland, California. He just told us off microphone that his house has been deemed too cold to prove bread. It's Randy Michaelstaff. <laughs> this is true. I'd say probably like nine months out of the year, it's too cold for uh, for bread to rise in my house. How much? How many quarters? Nine out of 12 months of the year. Oh, that's three quarters. Bread and wood. <laughs> what? I haven't introduced you yet. Skip it. Randy, you got to get back on this bread thing. I've, you've spent thousands of dollars on this bread equipment. You I, know, the world needs your artisan take. Have you thought about maybe getting a, 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 a... Randy, you live in San Francisco. What is San Francisco known? Sourdough bread. Have you thought about getting a sourdough uh, starter? starter? Yeah. Uh, I wouldn't get one. I would just make it from scratch. But I have thought about it, but I haven't done it. You can do that, Randy, but what you need to do is you need to get the starter. One of the starter, you know, guys. I'm a DIY guy, dude. I'm trying to... Randy, the DIY, no. It, the, the DIY, something always gets lost in the DIY. It either ends in the D or the Y. <laughs> you need to go and get the starter from the professionals. And then, and then you nurture it. You put your own, you know, understanding... Of your experiences with the starter, <laughs> and then it starts to tell its own story. Randy, I know a guy who I might be able to get some from. He's he's been making pizzas lately and selling them in Berkeley. Is he also your mushroom guy? Is it the same guy? No, that's a different guy. Mushrooms on pizza is good though. Just regular mushrooms. <laughs> what about the acetylsilic guy? I've never tried it on pizza. I just tried to say it as fast as I could because I'm not. I supposed to say it. Psilocybin. 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 What's the, what's the ingredient in Tylenol that makes the pain go away? Acetaminophen. Acetaminophen. Something like a that. A spoonful of cinnamon. What did you just say? Acetaminophen. Acetaminophen. Yeah, something like that. No. Okay. <laughs> Joining us is Russell Fisher, who's here in the room. Don't know why. Basically, just because we exited the episode. Exited the episode. Is that how we're going to go? We're trying to start it now. <laughs> Stop me up. Oksana, Valerian Ivanova Osachi. Yes. Is here. I am. Oksana, how are you today? Um, when you were talking about putting mushrooms on pizza, it made me think of Detroit Rock City. Because that happens. Do you understand that I've never seen that motion picture? I've seen it too much. So. Do you know who directed it? No. <laughs> Here's what I need you to do. I need you to go on the International Movie Database. Mm -hmm. I need you to look who directed it. And then I need you to go to the document on your Google Drive called Overlook Our Future Guest Host. And that director I've been talking about every day. I thought he made documentaries. He makes all sorts of things because he's very talented. And we're trying to get him on the show. <laughs> Thank you very much. I'm, of course, I'm referring to Adam Rifkin. Dream guest number four. <laughs> Russell, who's dream guest number one through three? Um, uh, I need you to go on Google and put in Detroit Metal City and look at who directed that. Detroit Metal City? Is yeah. that a thing? Yeah. Here we go. Here we go. Detroit Metal City. Detroit Metal Rock City. City. All right. Again, we're on YouTube now. Oh. <laughs> Anime. <laughs> gotcha, bro. 
Oh god, it's live action too. I don't want that. Live action anime. So I'll when, watch that. Uh, well, it, it looks like it could be disastrous. At Fanime one time at three a.m., I watched all of Detroit Metal City. Were you lonely? Oh, there were people in that room. No, it's three a.m. You must be lonely. Rob Thomas, thank you. Yeah. Stole my damn joke. <laughs> oh, look at that. <laughs> Fucking idiot! Send Randy that picture. Get that this show good. going. You know we had a we had a meeting very serious about trying to get people who are new listeners to keep listening. When they hit play, we really got to hook them. And then he goes in this fucking you start some bread. <laughs> get your yeast to rise. <laughs> this week we talked to writer director Stephen Kostansky. He joined us for the second time. I believe this is the first time in the history of this program where we called a guest. We said, "Hey, we don't have a whole lot of time." Can we call you in a couple weeks? He's like, yeah, bro. No probs. So we did. And everything worked out. Yeah, he followed through. And he did follow through. We had a great conversation with him. Um, he is the writer-director of Psycho Gorman, uh, which we talked to him about a couple weeks ago. And we barely brought it up this time. Uh, so, <laughs> however, check out Psycho Gorman. It's getting uh, rave reviews. People are loving the Psycho Gorman. We did talk about Lex and Abraxas, though. So... Yes. Deep cut 90s. Also didn't even mention Leprechaun, man. No. Oh, we did. Saved the did. franchise. He talked about it. He talked about a uh, good little, uh, uh, was it goat? A cut scene. Yeah, cut scene. Involving, involving a, a goat, goat. Yeah. and poop. Also a drone. <laughs> goat poop and drone. Yep. That's all you need. Mm, that's all you need. Okay. <laughs> There's nothing you can go to can't be pooped. <laughs> Oksana Valeria about Osachi, it is your job each and every week to tell us about the things that are coming out. Not theatrically, because Gavin Newsom hates us. Yes. All right. I thought, I thought there was more to that. <laughs> All right. Um... So we have two very different movies coming out this Friday. The first one will be playing at the Roxy's um, Virtual Cinema. It is a documentary called Film About a Father Who. <laughs> <laughs> I forgot the, uh, the better description is on IMDb. It's a, it's a, so it's a multimedia. <laughs> it's a multimedia documentary. Um, filmed over the course of like 35 years. Who do you think he is? Richie Lynx? Uh, one of his children made documentary. Oh, who do you think he is? Francis Ford Coppola? <laughs> I like Richie Hotlink. Over Richie Hotlink. Dude, that's a good name. Randy, write that down. That's new merch. <laughs> <laughs> We're going to sell Richie Hotlinks. <laughs> I love it. <laughs> so over a period of 35 years between 1984 and 2019, filmmaker Lynn Sachs. Sachs. It's very clearly Sachs. It's always been Sachs. It always will be Sachs. Shot eight and 16 millimeter film, videotape, and digital images of her father, Ira Sanchez Sr. Sanchez? Sachs. Whoops. <laughs> <laughs> Fuck a the weekday record, dude. <laughs> They're blending together. Uh, what is a bon vivant? 
Why are you reading this when you can't read? How do you pronounce that? Bon vivant. That's what I said. Yeah, but why do you question it? Have some confidence in your life. And pioneering businessman. What are you doing? From what Park is? City, can we stop? Utah. What is happening right now? Hey, I accidentally kicked the table. You're kicking I'm the sorry. table. You forgot how to read. <laughs> Randy wants ahead. to go to bed. <laughs> I'm sorry. What the fuck is this movie about, please? It's a lot of footage of this guy, Ira Sachs. <laughs> right. Next movie. I mean, that's enough for you. I'm sure you're in. I like how Did many. You see that guy? The guy looks cool. Yeah. Different um, medium. I love a mixed media. Yeah, so that's going to be at the Roxy's Virtual Cinema, starting Friday the twelfth. Also on Friday the twelfth, Willy's Wonderland. Oh <laughs> no! <laughs> Already? Starring? Yeah. It's going to be on Amazon at least. I don't think they've added all of the different. Oh, um, this is an Amazon original. Is it? I don't. Is, is I don't this Bezos's so. last move before he uh, stepped down as CEO? Oh God! <laughs> he said, "Here's more Nicolas Cage." I mean, this is clearly a Five Nights at Freddy's thing, right? That's. I mean, there's no way not to think that. Aren't they doing a Five Nights at Freddy's though? There are animatronic mascots. Randy, yeah. do you know about this movie? Uh, just vaguely. Supposedly, it will Thanks, be. Randy. In limited theaters, also on Friday the 12th, but also streaming on the 12th. It's about um, so a quiet loner, Nicolas Cage, uh, finds himself stranded in a remote town when his car breaks down. Unable to pay for repairs he needs, he agrees to spend the night cleaning Willy's Wonderland, an abandoned fun family fun center. Um, was that my throat? No. That was mine. It was Clark. <laughs> it was the garlic noodles. God, both of you. And it's not going to pick up. No, he's going to know what you're talking about. <laughs> it sounded weird. All right. <laughs> but, but this wonderful, but this wonderland has a dark secret uh, that this janitor is about to discover. So he battles animatronic robots. Oksana. I'm in. It looks good. You know that I love you and I appreciate your effort on this show. But in the future, can you choose films that don't have a novella as a part of the description? But I didn't read the whole thing. You read the whole thing. I did not. Of this one, you did. You read most of it. <laughs> what do you got next? The end. Oh, that's it? Oh, SF Indie Fest is still happening, so. All right. Yeah. All right so this is going to be VOD rental, right? Correct. Okay. I want to watch it. What's, what do you think the price point? Going to be about six ninety nine. Twenty. No, it's not going to be a twenty. I think six ninety nine. Yeah, I think a six ninety nine. And then can can we buy it or do we have to wait a couple weeks? I did not look. Into okay, because sometimes they'll do that. They'll they'll do a um, oh you know what they'll do the reverse of that where you can only buy it for a while, then the rentals are like two weeks later. Oh weird. iMovies iMovies will do that. That's I don't know if it's called iMovies. Terrible. Anymore. That's a bad. I don't know. It's kind of cool. I mean, it shows that convenience trumped pirating. Because, you know, the fear originally was if you go online or it's streaming, people are just going to rip your film. And clearly they are. But I think people want the convenience of just being like, 
uh, hit a button. You know what I mean? It charged my card. It didn't even ask me. Whatever. Yeah, we're going. No, one hundred percent. Instead of like, I'm going to pull up a torrent and figure it out and try not to get a virus. And yeah. yeah, but the fact that you have to you have to buy it before you can even rent it, I don't like that. Uh, I don't. I mean, you don't even really own it when you buy it. Yeah, that's the fucking thing. I don't know. I'm tired. <laughs> For any questions, queries, concerns, or comments, please direct us at podcast at overlooktheater.com. Yeah, that's clearly Five Nights at Freddy. When you look at the yeah, damn, 100%. yeah, clearly. All right. The Overlook Hour is available on. Uh, no, wow. You threw me what off. The dude. Hell you threw me off. Four years of just mindlessly going through it. You know what happened is you thought about it. You threw me off it's, the pattern. It's the first time you ever thought about it, and then you had no clue where For you were. Any questions, Chris, comments, please direct those at podcast at overlooktheater.com. Stitcher, Google Play, iTunes, the other one. Find us, like us, comment, tell a friend, tell an enemy. It's not any of my business what you do on your own personal time. The Overlook Hour is available on Facebook as The Overlook Hour. The Overlook Hour is available on Twitter as The Overlook Hour. The Overlook Hour is available on Instagram as The Overlook Theater. Find us, like us, comment, tell a friend, tell an enemy. Randy. Apparently you could buy the Blu-ray already for Willy's <laughs> Wonderland. Pre- a pre-order? Randy yeah, I guess so. All right. Four. Randy Michael Statt, Russell John Fisher, Oksana Valerian, Nevada Mosachi. I am Clark William Little until episode 233. Why don't you go out in the world, find something you want, and get it? <laughs> <laughs> oh, man. I fucking did not like that. <laughs> a cannibal. I want to eat you. What? Oh, are we revisiting the bit again? This week's two cents also is brought to us by Army Hammer. Oh my god. Also, you clearly have moved to New York. This is his (laughs) second entry. I'm totally committed to this Colin Quinn accent. Yeah, I, I don't like it. I liked it when you were like a weird, squeaky, prepubescent ghoulie. I change. Yeah, for real. The hot ghoulie? We got to bring that back. I was never <laughs> the hot ghoulie. <laughs> yes, you would. Yeah, that's what I described. I'm more as. like a sad, drooly kind of guy. All right, all right. <laughs> Be gone. We're trying to truncate this episode. You need to leave. Randy, what's up? <laughs> Don't oh, what's up, dog? <laughs> yeah. Bye. You see that, dog? Me and Randy. Open and the damn door. <laughs> Okay. Open or close? <laughs> what the hell? Yeah, it's true. Is it opening? Are we opening and then closing? I feel like... It's an open. It was always open. No. We just closed it. I mean, look over there. It's closed now. It's just, it, it sounds the same because you're opening and closing it every time. <laughs> oh, that is true. Yeah. Also, I'm literally doing it. I don't know why we're <laughs> having this conversation. We grab the big pole, you hit the top of it, you put the hook around the ring, you pull it open. So I talked with with uh, Creepy, and uh, <laughs> we both agree that uh, there's plenty to explore with this army hammer situation. Oh, God. I don't think... I don't, I don't think you're going to put in the work to find... I don't it. think that you understand okay. <laughs> that this is an attack from the globalist elite. This is what they do. 
they do all this cannibal shit. Who is he? I don't even know. Do you who understand he is. that he is? So his what is his name? Army. Army Hammer. Last name. No Hammer. You know what family he's from? Uh, the Hammer Time. The Arm and Hammer Company. Really? Yeah. Yep. Also, oh. I took off my windsock to get to that what, extra dramatic. Sound. What do we do? Is this like a QAnon thing right now? That's what I'm saying. <laughs> okay. Exactly. QAnon Army hack. Hammer is Q, dude. Bring back the reptile. That's that's what I that's want what on a shirt. Do. I wonder if you think AJ is going on rants about this. AJ Bowen. Oh, I didn't know you were calling him AJ <laughs> me, now. Me and H. <laughs> Who do you think I was talking about? AJ Soprano? <laughs> you all, I love how I'm a solid three seconds behind. I'm late all the time. Oh, no. All right, say it again. I got a cue for you. What do you think I was talking about? What? Why Why did Creepy Clark just show no, up? Come on, give me, yeah, give me a punchline. AJ Soprano. Yeah, dude, is it on the board? No. Why didn't you put it on the board? Because I don't want you to play it. Oh. <laughs> That's all we're gonna play. I know. That's you wanted a new guitar. No. There's our new guitar, baby. I, I had a brain fart, and I was on YouTube, and I mean, we've been so busy doing other shit that the whole morning zoo thing has just like disappeared. And I no complaints here. I, I haven't heard any yet either. And, uh, <laughs> you know, I found that video of five hours of, oh, yeah. And I went, oh, yeah, I got to show Clark this. And then I was like, wait, he knew about it. And it was a good thing that you forgot about it. Yes, yeah, true. Yeah, but I still had the window open. Oh, so yeah. I'm going to close it now. Yeah, you know, that is the new soundboard. <laughs> I got to parlay with Randy anyway, so I can figure out the new soundboard. Oh, damn it. I There was an audio clip I wanted to pull. Um. One of our uh, astute listeners uh, commented on our Rolling Thunder chat. Like, remember how you and Randy kept saying, yeah. oh, I love Rolling Thunder. And it's like, y'all ain't, you don't know Rolling Thunder. It has to be different. Okay. No, first of all, <laughs> your retelling of this is insane. No, okay. I'm the one who corrected both of them. Yeah, but Thank I was sitting much. here and I'm like, you're not talking about Rolling Thunder. Yeah, I know. I know you're behind on this. We I think we Randy. That. I don't know. We'll have to. We'll have to check the tape. But uh, I got it wrong. Days of Thunder kicks ass, though. Yes, Days okay, of there Thunder. you go. Yeah, I don't know that movie. Um, Tom Cruise. But he pointed out that uh, NASCAR, the Empire Film Podcast, with uh, had an episode with Edgar Wright and Quentin Tarantino. Oh, yeah. And early on in that conversation, Tarantino talks about Rolling Thunder a bunch. Really? Yeah. He reached out and he was like, I know it was an accident on your podcast, but uh, the Empire podcast, they also brought that up right away. Oksana, go back to Rolling Thunder. Who's in Rolling Thunder? Who we got? We should just watch it. It looks like a Clark kind of movie. It, it, it totally is. We got a guy holding a shotgun. It's just oh, not... Bill Devane's in it? Tom, William Devane and Tommy Lee Jones? You, you buried the lead on this, baby. I mean, you don't even understand. It's really cool. Scroll back up. Scroll back up. Don't show him anything up. about it. No, scroll. Again, you are your own boss on this show. Also, visual bit. Uh, Randy, Randy. Paul Schrader wrote this screenplay. <laughs> oh, really? Bro, y'all, what? Look, y'all. Show's canceled. We're rolling thunder <laughs> right now. <laughs> baby. Is that what you call when it, when it hits six o'clock and you get off work? Dude, how, how am I not going to love this move? <laughs> that was a weed joke. I'm, no, no. My my point wasn't that you wouldn't love it. My point was that it's too cool for you to know about it. That's incorrect. <laughs> I knew about this movie. Thank you very much. Uh, no, you didn't. 
That's the only thing you know. Oh, dueling sound <laughs> now. No, we don't. You I just have, one. You, you I have one YouTube. Button, <laughs> but you've got you've got the most powerful one. Do I? Yeah. No, because I, I have to ignore it. You hold the power. Man. In order to craft the, the very detailed and intellectual conversations we have, I had to give up the soundboard. I'm so not trying to win a Peabody. <laughs> you know, everybody's trying to compete against Terry. Terry. Oh, said Terry. Terry Cruz. <laughs> you know, Terry Cruz on the NPR. Well, Randy threw out gross. I like it, that. It too. is Terry gross. It was, that's what I was trying to say. Yeah, Cruz is better. He'd win in a fight. Cruise over gross. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> Get that hashtag going. All right. Uh, we got anything else for uh, we talk about movies? I don't know. You know, I wanted to start opening up uh, more friendly to new listeners in case anybody happened to Why? make a wrong turn somewhere and Fuck end up em. here. Go back to whence you came. No, but I I don't know. I Just feel kidding. like welcome. We've very good. <laughs> I feel like we've had a. Good interviews lately. Not that they all aren't. Lately? I'm sorry. I feel like we've had good interviews for 230, how many? (laughs) Yeah, but you know what I mean? Like, I think now we run out of time. And that wasn't always true. Like, sometimes we'd run out of, like, energy or, like, you know, I don't know. We're just not good at this. And Jordan Graham. You played. Oh, with Jordan. Yes. Jordan Graham was. Yeah, it was. It was particularly good so you know if if you want to support the show share it and again there is a you know we're on youtube now if you got a millennial or what the hell what's younger than a millennial gen z yeah i think so yeah like my sister fell off of the podcast and i'm like your family you have to listen to is it. she okay <laughs> it wasn't a long fall um, that's good but because of YouTube, she's gone back and she's like, yeah, I'll pick it up again. I'm like, oh, how far back are you? The hunt episode 142 or something. <laughs> I'm like, I don't even know what we were talking about back then. But yeah, I don't know. It's been good. And especially last week, um, because by now, uh, Seder will be available. Mm-hmm. And if you check that movie out, go back. You know, honestly, you don't have to listen to this show. I'm sure he dives into that uh subject matter everywhere he went but i don't know i feel like we probably pushed him in a way you're not going to hear jenny from the block jokes on any other podcast as a reminder, <laughs> i'm a classically trained investigative journalist from the university of southern mississippi and i have tutored you my young okay. grasshopper <laughs> and together with randy watching in the corner <laughs> like a little cuck boy we've constructed a fantastic interviewing team. Yeah, you're you're welcome. Well, thank you. Also, way too much garlic in that as it's just radiating off my microphone nah. into my nose. It is currently singeing my nose hairs, which I trim regularly through my Manscaped okay, not, not Lawnmower a 2.0. <laughs> Use promo code FUCKRANDY <laughs> and receive $0 <laughs> discount. All right. Is that it? We're truncating the food talk. We don't need more of it. What are you talking about? That's one of the positive things we get from this show is all the food you talk. You were supposed to create an outlet on Twitter to do that and make little videos and shit. And what, if never I just have, what if I told you I just haven't told you? <laughs> Wait, can you tell me? What if I told you? <laughs> I just haven't told you. Can you? Oh, man, this is off topic, but it's good. Can you tell that story you told me about when you went out in the city for the first time in a year? 
and the guy was yelling at you? Oh, <laughs> <laughs> come on. <sighs> okay. Uh, so Randy, I went um, with our mutual friend Amanda was in the show, <laughs> sure. and uh, because she's very she's a very stylish person, and I was en route. I needed insert. I mean, how much can I say about that? What? I was, no, don't say anything about that. You, you could do it. I was costume shopping. Okay. For a thing. A new hood. There we go. <laughs> and I needed some help because I'm an idiot and I'm colorblind. So I need I needed the feminine touch. So we were walking around in the mission and this 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 homeless guy just yells at me. And I, I just know I mean I figured I'm very good at ignoring, you know, street banter. <laughs> Very good at that. I feel like that that was just an easy transition for me as, you know, a simple little country mouse being thrust <laughs> into the city. I have no problem keeping my head down and just buzzing out all the other riffraff. Randy, you're with me on this. Uh, yeah, for the most part. Yeah, like can't be, uh, you can't really distract me. So if people yell at me, I just power through it. Mm-hmm. So that's this was an example of that, but he did get me. So he said, hey, oh, damn, man, how'd you get so lucky? And then I walked a couple steps and then ignored him. And then he said, oh, I guess black lives don't matter. (laughs) (laughs) To which then I laughed. And cried. Profusely. Thank you. Cried and then donated. Was the gentleman actually black? Yes. (laughs) Okay. (laughs) I hope. I (laughs) I surely hope so. Said you donated. Was it a, a street sheet person? Street sheet. Yeah, you don't know about street sheet. I have no idea what, either. What? Are you, what <laughs> is happening? Street sheet has been around forever. It's essentially like a newspaper for like unhoused communities in the Bay Area. Oh, oh street sheets. Yeah, I've ran into like the same guy, uh, maybe like, like three or four times in uh, downtown San Francisco when I go there for work, like once a week, and. Uh, they're they're getting tech savvy. They take Venmo now. If you want to uh, give a donation, whoa, yeah. I just heard that it was like a, a Marxist newspaper. Yeah. <laughs> down on street, she. Down on street, she. I never actually read it. <laughs> I just know that they're incredibly aggressive every time. There's a aggressive. Walgreens that I work by that is like. It's it's not the most friendly. Is it Walgreens leaving the city? Uh, yeah, yeah, I'm pretty sure. Randy, did you hear that? No. What are we getting yeah. into? Dwayne Reed instead? <laughs> I don't, I don't know. <laughs> it's a New York joke. God. <laughs> Randy knows his audience. Yes. So thank you for uh, d- marbles. <laughs> Dwayne Reed. Yeah, that's all I have in New York for <laughs> drugstores. Yeah, Walgreens is leaving because uh, people keep pooping on their floor. Pooping on ben. the floor, pooping on the floor. Right. Walgreens also doesn't want to pay for a security guard, so I mean. Okay. There were three at the Walgreens that I work at. Are you going to keep chiming in? I'm going to turn on. Plus, we know a security guard that used to floss with rope. <laughs> oh, that's troll oh, God. Oh, have we ever talked about him? You know, I'm I have sure a we have. I could send you a picture I have of him, Oksana. You could put it in the video. Because you aptly named him the insecurity guard. Yeah, and then he added the in to his security hat. And it was that was the best joke he ever told, but the best joke Clark ever told. 
As you were at arguing about jazz because he was he claimed to be a jazz. No blues, drummer. blues. No, it was blues. Yeah. Okay. And you were you kept naming people and he didn't know who they were. And uh you're like, you know, I got some advice for you. <laughs> Why don't what was it? Oh man, I don't want to ruin it because it was really good. Oh good. You got it. It was um Oh no, I I don't know the setup now. Do you know the one I'm talking about? The next time you put the gun in your mouth, don't chew on the barrel. Yeah, there you go. <laughs> yeah, uh, he had he had uh, horrible horrible teeth. He was yeah. It looked like his tongue was in jail. <laughs> yeah, you you had so many teeth joke for that. Oh God. Okay. Now, uh, and now he's dead. Yeah, probably. You know, he did offer to do film for us though. Like if we needed like a oh. crazy guy to kill teenagers, <laughs> what a big you still thing. got his number? I might, I might, because yeah, because there's could a thing work. coming up that, that he could totally host. <laughs> okay. Oh God. All right, Randy Michael. Yes, sir. Now, my friend, you've been you've been in the midst of nonstop uh, online film festivals, man. You need to take a break. <laughs> I mean, what else am I going to do? You know, I don't really uh... Uh, take a walk. Uh, you you got thousands of dollars in baking equipment. I've been told over <laughs> a number of years. So I found out that my house is too cold for uh, bread to rise. You need some sort of <laughs> proofing situation. Also, that is a very funny sentence. Yeah, but I it's it's accurate. Yeah, the last two times I tried, I left the bread out for like much longer than it said, and it like didn't rise at all. Yeah, you got a proofing problem. Yeah, I got to. Yeah, I got to get a better setup. Try a blue chew. Not a sponsor. <laughs> what's the What's the warmest part of your house? Bathroom near the pooper. I guess my room when I have my space heater on. Yeah, just keep keep it in there. It's gonna smell all yeasty in my room though. Don't smell That's gross. Yeasty in your room. Yeah, if you leave the bread to rise in there, Randy, it's not. Fine. Get a, get a little glade. So you can light a little candle. Say a little prayer. Maybe I'll give a it a shot. Prayer. I did spend a little bit of money on baking equipment that I used maybe thrice. Yeah, thousands of dollars. I've been told. No, not thousands. Well, that's what TMZ said. Why'd so. you give it up? Uh, I don't know. Because I I have a bad problem of getting into something like really heavily and then giving up like a month later. Yeah, I'm with you on that. What did you end up making? I remember talking to you about it on the show and you made like two things. I made loaves of bread like a couple times. Then I made pizzas a couple times. That turned out pretty decent, but... Yeah, I made the za. Yeah. So I guess I could probably do it in summer again, but yeah, any other time of the year, it's it's no no bueno for rising. But then you gotta, <laughs> then you gotta be careful of the heat too, brother. Yeah, maybe. No, ain't no maybe about it. You understand? I watched the Great British Baking Show. I, they cook in the tent. It gets too hot. Okay. I got to learn about the heat problems like now that I can seven degrees know about the cold problems. Oh, yeah. Cold problems, hot problems. You know, the Katy Perry. Oh, my God. Hey, I sent you the picture to your G-chat. I don't know if you want to put that on the screen capture, but uh, you got Brian on there now. Oksana, <laughs> how, how hot is 37 degrees Celsius? That's very hot. I'm going to say. Like, 
37 degrees Celsius. Talking about 90-something? Are we? Where are you going with this? 98.6. It was hot in the tent that day, my friends. What? Is this a Bible thing? No, Great British Breaking Show. Oh, my God. <laughs> Where have you been? You've been know. checked out over there. Yeah. Oh, I'm sorry. Yeah, I was looking up the security guard image because I wanted to put it in the YouTube. Thing. Okay, that's good. I'll, yeah. I'll allow it. I've also find his number. We haven't talked <laughs> in 19 years. Is that also going to go in the video? <laughs> <laughs> Just so you can oh remember. Oh, my God. All right, that's it. All right. Blur out his face. No. He may be wanted. I did get an Amber <laughs> Alert over the weekend. <laughs> oh, get that? Yeah, I did. Yeah, I, I came in late, too. I was super late. It woke me up. To, it scared me. Actually, didn't wake me up. I've been staying up late. I'm a party boy. What time? It was like 11. Oh, that ain't late. Or 10? Yeah, I don't know. Earlier? <laughs> what are we talking about? <laughs> I don't know. All right, so right, uh, back back to the, the original form here. Uh, Randy, you... You did what well, last week was Sundance, and this week you got SF Indie. Uh, yeah, I bought a uh, all access pass for SF Indie Fest that's running from the fourth till the twenty first. Uh, it seems like oh, there's some time. pretty good stuff on there. Yeah, so uh, yeah, Randy, how, how does to, that work? Do, do they have like select screening times for these, or is it a VOD situation? Uh, it looks like it's pretty much like a like if you buy the. So there's like a five film pass, there's a 10 film pass, then there's like a unlimited and uh, you pretty much just go on and you can just, it says select a showing, but it nothing has had a time. It's basically, yeah, just like on demand. You just click it and watch it whenever you want. That's great. Why, yeah, it's, why am I not doing this? <laughs> I don't know. There's some, there's some good stuff on here. How much is the passes? Uh, not sure. I could send you the link. I'm looking at the link right now. <laughs> I think the like five and ten film passes aren't aren't too bad. Still but um, waiting on Oxana. <laughs> but one of the uh, the better things that I've seen so oh. far is a uh, a movie called CIA. It is a faux documentary. Uh, it's a Spanish film. Uh, yeah, it's a, a mockumentary faux documentary. Uh, that takes place in the beginning of the 90s in Mexico City. And it is, um, so essentially this kid, Nicholas, who is a uh, kind of a richer kid, he's a filmmaker, but he wants to start making documentary about this uh, gang of punk rock kids who their gang's name is CIA, which stands for Club International Aguaritos, which is, uh, I believe, Warriors. Hell yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah, and then so he essentially, uh, yeah, is spending time with this gang, getting to know them, and gets into a lot of parties and a lot of drugs and a lot of violence. It's a uh, yeah, and a lot of crime, and uh, the whole thing is uh, very rough and raw. It's um, yeah, it feels very authentic as well. Um, most of the movie is like kind of not like shaky cam, but it's handheld. Uh, but there are some scenes that look very much like a like a French New Wave movie. There's some like uh, kind of like lighter moments where the camera is a little more like on a tripod. Um, there's also some scenes that are uh, stop motion, which are really cool. Um, so kind of this mixture of styles and stuff kind of reminded me of uh, Funeral Parade of Roses, which came out, well, was re-released like several years ago that I talked about here. Yes. 
Yeah, yeah not, I remember. Yeah, not as good as that movie, but uh, sort of the style and sort of like the mixture of uh, tones and stuff they were doing uh, kind of reminded me of that. I never watched that. I've been meaning to for, what was it, four years now? Yeah, sound like that. It's good. Well, you never watched it, really? No, because it was on, um, it, it had come on TCM and I recorded it. And I just oh it. my, that's how long ago it, you recorded on TCM. Yeah, man. Yeah, Randy, that's interesting that you relate it to like French New Wave. Because now I'm thinking about Man Bites Dog and I. Still never seen that. Oh, okay. Well, it, when you, there's something about the faux doc format mm-hmm. and like kind of following the subject that really reminds me of like Breathless and just the way it's like filmed. Yeah. Yeah. It's I also, never yeah. It's also a black and white movie and it's filmed in like a, a boxy aspect ratio. So that kind of a no. lens to the Breathless type of thing. Yeah. But you know what I mean? Like, like the camera's always kind of catching up to it or like it's organic the way that it's unfolding as opposed to like, we're on a set and it's staged and the yeah. camera. No, yeah. It, there's something about it. Watch a um, man bites dog because yeah, I, I mean, need also, to. it's a French film it, and it may uh, basically like, yeah, be doing the French new wave thing. Yeah. Also a uh, cool connection. I watched the um, Q and a afterwards, uh, which took place with the filmmaker. Um, what's his name? Let's see what his name is. Leandro Cordova. Um, but one of the moderators of the, f- the Q and a, um, Russell, you might know of the Blazo gallery or submission. Oh, wait, what? The Blasio Blazo gallery. It was a, uh, sort of like an underground venue in, uh, I think it's on like 18th and mission. It's no longer exists, but. Oh, I don't um, know. Oh, okay. I figured maybe you had been there, but, um, I spent, you know, a lot of my late teens and early twenties at this place. Uh, in the mission called the Balazzo Gallery. Um, I've played a lot of shows there. And then the uh, dude who owns the place, um, he is Hispanic as well. And I believe he grew up in Mexico and he was brought in to sort of moderate the Q&A because there was a lot of Spanish-speaking people on the Q&A as well. And also, uh, yeah, he grew up kind of like in the punk rock scene uh, in Mexico. And he said that uh, this very much portrayed it very well and sort of like, the scenario with sort of like gangs and stuff in uh in Mexico City. Oh, did it turn into submission? It did, yeah. It used to be called Blazo Gallery like years ago. Okay, yeah. I I did not know it by that name. But I, yeah, oh, okay. it was a submission for sure. Yeah, that place was rad. Oh damn. What how old were you when you were playing shows there? Uh yeah, probably like 18 to like 23, 24, something like that. Is that Red Handed? Was that the band? Uh, Red Handed played there. Then some of my other bands played there. I think Troubled Coast played there. DC. Um, yeah, I think that's about it. I probably filled in for like one of my other friends' bands there. I think I, I remember that. But yeah, it was cool uh, seeing him on the on the Q and A. Yeah. Dude. How much pussy did you get? Over there? <laughs> oh my god. <laughs> None. Yeah. I also okay. generally played, and then I. Uh, you know, would leave early. <laughs> and that was a uh, militant straight edge Randy, right? Uh, I don't know if I was ever militant, but yeah, I was, uh, I was very straight edge back then. Knocking forties out of people's mouths and shit. <laughs> Dude, he's the ninja, man. I, oh, that's right. He's the ninja. Straight edge ninja, baby. Dude, If that clip sounded better, I'd ask you to play it. Dude, he killed two guys <laughs> in that movie. <laughs> 
Yeah, I want to watch that movie for sure. It looks fucking rad. Yeah, it actually cool. reminds me of Los Bastardos. Can you look that up? That's a film that oh, Los man. Bastardos. It's also only way- uh, eighty-four minutes long, so it's a oh, it's an easy right. watch. Oh, that's tight. What? There's a TV show called. No, it's, it's a romance. Movie. It's a movie. There we go. Two thousand eight. Oh, that's ninety minutes. Have either of you heard of that? No. no. Oksana, what? Here, let me turn on your mic. What was that found footage movie? where they had a poster for this film in the room. I can't remember what it was, but this movie's about um, some, they're like uh, illegal immigrants who are tired of trying to find work. Like literally the movie opens and they're on the corner at Home Depot. And they're like, man, fuck this. And uh, they decide they're just going to start committing crimes. There's a moment in the end of that movie that is one of the most, I don't, it's it's rough. Like it's not rough. Like um, like oh, we're, uh, we're gonna a three rape. year old you found in the trash. No, it's a different <laughs> type of thing. You jerks. Like there's some violence that's uh, hinted at, but you don't think it's gonna go down without like an edit. Okay. And there's a there's a gun involved, and it's like, how did they do, do you, that? Do you have this motion picture? I do. Yeah. Yeah. Weirdly, at Target, they sold it in the. When they had a Latin section well, in the DVD. It, uh, Festival de Cannes. Yeah, no, I don't know. I've never heard of... Uh, you know, I watched this movie on DVD direct from Netflix when Netflix was first a thing. Hell DVD. yeah. Um, yeah, so when they had it in the Latin section of the DVD uh, aisle in um, Target, I was like, see, oh, dude, see. $2? Yeah, I'm buying that. Yeah, so I got it. We should watch it. It's fucking weird. But again... It only came back into my memory because there's a found footage movie we watched where somebody was going over. Um, and they had this the poster for this. Yeah, but it's one of those shots where it's like, you know, they're doing the Fodoc thing and there's a guy on his computer and he's like, turn to the cameraman and he's like, I don't know. But behind him was a fucking giant Los Bastardos fold, like poster. I'm like, what did they produce the film? Like, man, you know, it's, it's so weird. There's always surprises in the Bad Ben franchise. <laughs> no, it was not Bad Ben. <laughs> You never know what old Nigel's going to bring to the table. Oh, man, it's going to drive me crazy. He directed The Untamed. Oh, what? It's the same director as The Untamed? Yeah. Whoa. Look at that deep cut. I ain't seen The Untamed. You haven't seen The Untamed? Uh, we nah, watched bro. it at the Roxy. and I'm, I'm pretty tame. For some reason, the Roxy, uh, you know, um, independent theater out here in the Mission, they um, will only put up a disclaimer if it's a uh, Spanish film. Like if it's Latino in some way, then they'll put a disclaimer like, hey, watch out. And they've I've only seen two. And um, oh, that was the, one. The and dick the dick sucking one. The other one was uh, We Are the Flesh. Yeah. Yeah. That one they put a disclaimer. They suck a painter. I think it ejaculates <laughs> like on screen too. Also, I've just been told. <laughs> Wait, you haven't seen the movie? It jerks off. I've seen the wiener sucking part. That's all you've seen. That's shown up in a couple of my circles. Oh my God. <laughs> they didn't pull that off Pornhub? <laughs> No, his own Pornhub. Oh, it's verified then. Yeah. All right. Back to you, Randy. (laughs) (laughs) What do you think you're dealing with over here? Mr. Skin? Yeah, right? You're like, you've seen that moment in Brown Bunny? I ain't seen Brown Bunny. (laughs) Oh, let me tell you something. I suffered through all of Brown Bunny. (laughs) Damn. And Solo. Brown Bunny's awful. Uh, Is it better than Solo? And I like Vincent Gallo. I I like... Uh, Who? Vincent Gallo. You said Gallo. I did say Gallo. <laughs> I was hoping we could just power through that. 
to the gallows. <laughs> dude, dude Vincent Gallo's tight. But the brown bunny is a hump of trash, dude. Trash I, humpers. I great. loved um, Buffalo 66 is incredible. 69. Buffalo 66 is great. 69. Buffalo 69. <laughs> sign me up, brother. What about trash humpers? Randy, did you see all of brown bunny? Uh, yeah, a long time ago, though. Yeah, it stinks, right? There's nothing to it. I don't remember hating it, but it's been a long time since I've seen it. It's so pretentious. You I mean, know, I'm a motorcycle driver. That's cool, but. <laughs> Dude, MotoGP is fucking insane. <laughs> Buffalo 69 is my favorite. It was Buffalo 69. <laughs> uh, Randy Michael, you got anything else? Uh, no, just want to uh, say that WandaVision is uh, very good, and I'm not a big Marvel person. You know what? Brady, I've watched the first three episodes. I've watched the first two. What do you think? Um, I thought it's fun. and it, Oh, no, that's mean. That sounds mean. Um, I could give a fuck. Okay, so I... My dad... That's meaner. Y'all y- y- <laughs> y- 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 know my dad in this room, and... Uh, uh-huh. He can be fun, or he could be the bane of human existence. Uh-huh. And, and he, you know what he hates more than anything is when people are having fun and he's not involved. So a lot of the time, I try to find, um, you know, programs, TV shows that he can uh, get into. And it's not like it's hard. And his favorite show being Doctor Who, right? Yeah, he's a big sci-fi guy. He likes television shows, and he loves Marvel. So it's like you know, Wandavision's on TV. Vision is one of his favorite characters ever. Really? Yeah. It's lame. And uh, you can tell him that and he will, you know, talk at you for an hour about how Vision is incredibly powerful. Vision is lame. This is where I come from. And this is why I have a bunch of shitty pop figures over there on the wall. <laughs> but anyway, I actually got him to sit down and him, my mom, me and Oksana sat there and we watched the first two episodes. And it was cool because uh, – I, you know, I am a fan of like 50s television. I grew up with Nick at Night. Really? Yeah, I, I liked it. But the first episode, I didn't, I couldn't have pulled Dick Van Dyke or the Honeymooners. And having my parents there, it was kind of cool. Like, like my dad would not shut the hell up about Vision. I was a Get Smart guy. Yeah, me too. Get Smart's really good. But my mom knew all the, the sitcoms that they were pulling from. So I was having fun, but I realized, I think this is why I like found footage. Because I really like the parameters they're playing with. I like the the craft language that they're using to tell the story. I could give a fuck about the two superheroes, although uh, dramatically it's effective. Like at the end of those episodes, I don't, yeah. I, you know, I feel unemotional like tug, but I, I just, you know, daredevil or any of the other TV shows, not even a slight inclination to watch it. That's my girl. Yeah. So I don't know. I, I thought it was good and I was going to watch more with them. Like, me and Oksana went over there on Sunday, and I ended up just installing a fucking TV and a hanger on their wall. But I was like, oh, we can watch this, and they've, they've continued it without us. So, good job. <laughs> nice. Which they did not do with The Mandalorian, even though, like, really? yeah. Even though they were both into it. Well, I'm, only, I'm only one episode. Uh, Further, now. yeah. Yeah, I, I, keep, I keep watching it. But I'm, I'm with Randy there. I could give a shit about Marvel. But, uh, yeah, it was really good. But Randy, you're you're digging it. You're several episodes ahead of us. Uh, yeah, I'm all caught up. Caught up so far. It uh, it definitely gets more into the uh, the Marvel-y things, and you kind of got to know at least a little bit. So I've uh, 
I'm fully nerd, nerding out. I got into some podcasts that recap it and stuff. So, oh my god, yeah. you know, because I don't really know anything that a whole lot. I mean, I've seen like Avengers and shit, but you know, yeah. I didn't retain a whole lot. That's the web that they weave though with these context like franchises, because yeah. you know the only way you feel you can get everything out of it is if you go on a wiki. And it's like, well, what did that mean? Like, you know how Do it all for the wiki. My dad was so <laughs> annoying when that commercial came up in the first episode. And he's like, Did you get that? Stark Industries. You know what that meant? I'm like, okay, yeah. shut up. <laughs> like that was some low-hanging fruit. Like, yeah, oh, don't. <laughs> you know, he used to do that. He was a Carlos Mencia fan. I fucking <laughs> hated it. I hate that. Do you remember when that was like in popular culture? Are you kidding me? I hated that. <laughs> it's like the articulation. Dude, I watched Mind of Mencia. Oh, he looked like him. <laughs> Where were you living at the time? I was in college. Oh, okay. So you're still in like one of those uh, QAnon states? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> you're just trying to get a little culture. I get it. Dude, Mind of Mencia was funny. Are we still on Randy? I can't remember. No, he was just talking about WandaVision. Okay. Okay. Everybody. Oh, are we doing the timer? Strap in. What I decided I was going to do, I was going to walk you through everything and I've watched this past week. That is one, two, three, four, five motion pictures. Hell yeah. Start the clock. Okay. You want me to? Yeah, I can. I'm going to do All it right. in 10 minutes. <clears throat> I don't know. How are we doing for time? We're, doing we're at like 40. We've wasted everybody. That's set how we're doing it. Set the timer for 14 minutes. 14? Yeah, that's right. Oh, this is not what we talked about before. Leading off, I watched this movie last and we're Sunday. Going. This is a Randy retread. This is a Randy recommend. Randy. <laughs> uh-huh. This is some kind of heaven. Hell yeah. Let me tell you something right now, Randy. You buried the lead because this is one of the saddest movies I have watched in recent memory. This <laughs> oh depressed me to a degree that I was not expecting. Randy, I've always respected the elderly. You understand that. And I've also For sure. very I have a very healthy relationship with death, I think, as far as I'm concerned. <laughs> I respect death. I know it's coming. I grieve for others who have had fam die. What? <laughs> I respect death, okay? Russ, I don't think you respect death. No. <laughs> I don't think you do. I can see it in your face. Remember, there's a timer. <laughs> I'm trying to build a story. I, I get it. The storylines we have in this, none of them are good, Randy. And when I mean good, I mean the, the outlook. The ceiling on all of these are very, very low. We've got... Uh, Oksana, could you go to the, to the uh, homepage of the uh, motion picture so I can... Go through the cast here on the, the IMDb, not the Rotten Tomatoes. Okay, never mind. Doesn't matter. <laughs> the, the main guy we have, he lives in a van. He's what, 84, 87, I think. And he's trying something like that. He's trying to find a uh, Dennis, Dennis Dean. Good name. He used to be D and D. What was he, a stuntman? He used to be a stuntman. Yeah, Hollywood. I think so. And, um, you know, lifelong bachelor, and now he's trying to find an old, a married, uh, I mean, excuse me, a rich old woman that he can marry and just mooch. And, and yeah, there's reasons behind that. Yeah. And he ends up settling 
and it's it's sad. <laughs> the life, the light you saw in his eyes, gone. He's just settling with this woman who's happy to have someone in her life, and he's just <laughs> making ham sandwiches and cutting the grass. And he's probably dead now. This probably killed him. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> then we've got uh, the only cool guy is Margaritaville guy. Margaritaville oh, yeah. guy rips. He sells lawnmowers and golf carts. <laughs> he's cool as shit. And he starts buddy-a-buddy with um, a widow in the neighborhood. Her husband died. Shocker. And then they try to get together. I don't think there was a whole lot of chemistry got there because uh, she's kind of a dud and Margaritaville guy is way too cool. Then we go to the most depressing storyline, and that is this married couple that had been married for, I rated, what, 40 years or yeah. something? He is clearly going through the early stages of dementia. Like, he's there. Mm-hmm. He's also <laughs> taking uh, mushrooms, and he got busted in this document. Now, Re- Russell, this is why I'm recommending this, because we have CCT footage of him. <laughs> you just don't give me any oh, slack. Do you? you give me no slack. I, I, if like if my if I'm a half second off on my cadence, you just ate me up. I didn't do anything. No. You made me laugh. In the CCTV footage, <laughs> he got busted for having marijuana and coke. And it's called uh, Chewy. He went <laughs> He's on the Jimmy Fat the Jimmy Kimmel show. He's dead. <laughs> I was thinking Andre Nicotina. Oh, thank you so much. He had, <laughs> uh, he got busted for possession, and so they've got the the CCTV footage of him in court, and he is just, he's belligerent, but he's not belligerent in like an aggressive way. He's just clueless. He's just yeah. out to lunch of like what's happening. He doesn't really understand like the trouble he's in, and the judge straight up tells him. You were the rudest person I've ever had in my court, <laughs> and I've been doing this for 30 years. And they have the, court footage? That, yes. <laughs> that poor woman. That poor, poor woman who I pray about nightly now. She does not give up on her husband, and she yeah. should have. And I don't know, because he's an idiot. It I mean, seems like he, it's it's kind of on the uh, on the upswing, I felt. <sighs> Some kind of heaven is some kind of rough. It's a bummer. <laughs> For whatever reason, I decided I was, how much time I got left? Uh, we got, I don't trust this thing. 13 minutes. Yeah. Wait, what? I know. It's too long. I went, I went on for a minute. I don't know. I don't trust it. It's I told not you counting 14 time minutes. I I've gone 13 minutes. To 13 hours. What is. Oh, hours. That's you, the problem. Oh my <laughs> God. <laughs> You have no idea oh, how turn long your it. mic off. What you you're supposed to tap me when you want to talk. <laughs> you, okay, you have no, no idea how uh, long you're going on. Well, I mean I could do some quick math. You got like ten minutes. Okay. You got right. ten minutes. For whatever reason, I decided to watch two <laughs> I decided to watch two adaptations of John Grisham novels. <laughs> I was looking at this, I'm like, time's moving so slowly. <laughs> insane. <laughs> you are insane. <laughs> So I watched The Firm and The Rainmaker. The Firm, I think, is the first John Grisham adaptation. Not, it's not The Firm and The Rainmaker's one movie. <laughs> it's not. The Firm is one, yeah. Tom Cruise, 1993. I think it's the first John Grisham adaptation. 
Um, it stinks. It's two and a half hours <laughs> what long. The, the critic showed up, <laughs> dude. <laughs> it's two and a half hours long. It is an insane plot line that really goes nowhere. We got a lot of cool locations. They filmed a lot of it in Memphis. I grew up going to Memphis. I love Memphis. It's fun to see Memphis. But past that, there's really not a whole lot here, except I gave this three stars on the letterbox application. Here's why. Tom Cruise is a goddamn star. I just want everyone to understand how fantastic Tom Cruise is. He carries this movie. He's the only reason to watch it. It's two and a half hours, and it feels like a half hour because Tom Cruise is electric. I loved watching him run through Memphis for 40 minutes with a briefcase and an overcoat. That's the best part of the movie. He runs very fast. Don't know what his 40 is, but I'll tell you, it's a sub. It's sub four seven. <laughs> as far as I'm concerned. It's great. He's fun. Also, there's a, there's a ton of uh, stars in this firm. What's better is the Rainmaker. Okay. We've got, we've got. Uh, Francis Ford Coppola. Francis Ford Coppola directed The Rainmaker, starring Matt Damon and Danny DeVito. <laughs> I just realized I don't follow you on Letterboxd. That's That's like, the, I, I'm, I'm correcting that That's right now. Helpful. There you go. You got a new follower. Let me tell you right now. The Rainmaker is fun as shit. <laughs> okay? You got little Danny DeVito. Let me tell you something. This is one of the best Danny DeVito's ever been. And Matt Damon is fantastic. We got John Voight in here. He's doing his whole Southern lawyer thing. It's great. The Rainmaker is great fun. It's about tort, kind of, if I kind of knew what tort is. But <laughs> it's about insurance fraud. And uh, it's very... <laughs> Over your head. A, let me tell you something. The firm, everything is all wrapped up nice, pretty, in a bow. And the ending is so insane. Is so insane and like it's so stupid. How because the <laughs> God, I, I really didn't like the firm, but Tom Cruise is great because the at the end of the firm, the whole thing goes back to the mob and the, he busted the mob because the the firm was overtaxing the their clients. It's so dumb. And it got wrapped up. Ed Harris is Ed Harris was very bald in that, by the way. It's very strange, <laughs> very shiny head. Also, young Ed Harris, good looking guy. I like Ed Harris. Firm stinks. Rainmaker <laughs> is far superior storytelling because it does not wrap up everything pretty in a bow. Frankly, it's kind of a bummer at the end, but that's life, isn't it, my friend? Mm -hmm. John Voight, the actor? <laughs> yes. He didn't get it. The fourth movie, yes. <laughs> actress actress Margot Martindale. I always think of Anaconda when I think of John Voight. Oh, Jeff. Yeah. I always think of Seinfeld, too, which Dude. is the reference you've been getting. Dude, Anaconda ribs. <laughs> he got eaten by <laughs> The fourth is a movie called, let me just make sure I get it right, Final Entries, The Video Diary of Maddie O. Good luck trying to find it. Uh, I think I think I found it by calling it Final Entries. By harassing us, that's how you found it. Yes. Uh, Y'all watch this too. Yep. Um, what'd you think? You, you only got four minutes left. Do you want me to? I'm, 
Oh, only got four. I thought it was great. I thought it was a uh, good. Um, uh, it's a found footage movie about two girls, kind of like Bad Kitties. I don't know if anybody ever watched that based on our recommendation. But it's two girls. One of them runs away from home after a bad uh, domestic spat with their mom. And then uh, her and her buddy end up at a abandoned house where they make a bunch of videos. It feels very authentic and uh, aimless. And then something happens and it gets bonkers. I thought it was beautiful in a um, voyeuristic male kind of audience way where it's like these two girls are sitting around making like sexual jokes and talking about eating each other out all the time. And they're like nonstop. And but on top of that, like they're they're farting and being kind of like completely with their guard down. And I feel like that really it gave a chance to the fact that them making like sexual jokes about each other could be real. Even though if you're paying attention, they sleep head to head and it's like, clearly they're not doing this. And by the third act, it's just, it's bonkers. I, uh, it's a, it's a good one. If you're a found footage fan, I would recommend finding that movie. I don't think there's a possibility where this is not going to surprise you in one way or another. Yeah. I'm not saying that it's positive or negative, but it's it's going to be something you're not going to expect. Yeah. <laughs> I'll just I'll just be cryptic in that way with it. And I did enjoy it. Yeah. But I'll tell you, the batshit crazy third act is what kind of saved it for me. Well, it it wrangles it back in. For it, sure. It does. And it added a whole new depth to the whole thing because um, well, it feels like they're fucking around for the first two thirds of the movie, like almost like a, Hey, let's go make a movie kind of movie. Yeah. But it also, uh, sort of in, in, increased the strength and the range of the actor. Oh, for sure. For what we saw. Yeah. All so right. You got two minutes of, left. Uh, we're going to go past it. Oh, no, yeah, we're not hundred percent. I'm going to play a buzzer that will, uh, dwarf your sound. Nope. I'll cut your salary. <laughs> the final movie, um, is a filmed one-man play. We're going to be a little hacky this week as oh, I think God. this has sort of made the rounds. Uh, Derek Delgadio's In and of Itself. <laughs> he is... Do you know who this guy is? Delgadio? Delgadio. <laughs> it's me. It's fucking Derek Delgadio. They call me the cat. <laughs> I'm out of the bag. Oh, <laughs> <laughs> Here I am, baby. Derek Degadio, <laughs> in and of its fucking job. Okay, so, Randy, what's the best way to explain this guy? He's an illusionist. Yeah. Slash genius, Magician, yeah. He doesn't look like one. Let me tell you something. Frank Oz directed this, too, by the way, which is pretty tight. <laughs> <laughs> He's fucking Yoda, dude. Um... I've never what he did with cards. I've never seen any, anything like that. Never seen any any card work like that. It was crazy. Anyway, okay. Here's here's what I say. I love this. I teared up many many times, as you can imagine. God, it it, it is a little in a magic act. <laughs> You're crying in a magic act. Well, the card tricks. Randy, did you get a little misty? No, no. We all know dead inside, Andy, though. Not even in the third act, no. Randy. That <laughs> no. shit he pulled at the end was crazy. I mean, it was crazy. I was impressed, but I didn't. I didn't cry. Yeah, you didn't cry though. All right. So there's a lot of celebrity cameos in this because he filmed the shit. I think he did what 496 of this, and they filmed a lot of these and to to make the film of this. <laughs> yeah, I think they did some in L.A. too, I believe. And so you can see celebrity cameos 
all throughout the crowd. Mm-hmm. And then at the in the final act, he sort of ha- interacts with the crowd. <laughs> and so like David Blaine shows up. Bill Gates is in this. Da- my favorite is David Wayne. I can try to find the <laughs> screenshot of David Wayne. Ray, Wayne and Blaine? No. Wayne, 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 Wayne. Dude, David Wayne was crying in the background because his spoiler alert, his uh Derek Delgadios <laughs> the cat. Right. He's in the back. <laughs> <laughs> His, his mom was in the crowd and that was supposed to be like a big emotional reveal because there was a lot of story about her in the previous act i'm doing a very bad job of explaining this. You're beautiful one man you're done and so you see his mom in the foreground you see david wayne in the background and his oh, face man. is like convulsing like, and then a card falls look, out. It looks like he's trying not to sneeze. But <laughs> he's trying not to cry. It's very good. Um I I really enjoyed this. Uh it here's what I'll say. It's a little Clark Little. A little saccharine up top. You know, and he's very he's got a very deliberate cadence that, you know. His whole thing is get you emotionally involved into this. He's controlling every little bit of this. So, you know, he's certainly playing at your heartstrings. Uh, maybe that's why he can sneak a couple extra magic tricks down your throat without those. Oh, your my eyes God. Tears. <laughs> also, he made that brick disappear. That was tight. Yeah, the yeah. set design in the background is really cool, too. It almost, yeah, very like, cool. Parts of it almost looked like uh, stuff that would be in, like, a David Lynch short film. Ugh. Or like a red curtain. <laughs> no. Hi, hello. <laughs> I'm here to design your set. <laughs> Today's number is seven. <laughs> we'll be back tomorrow. God, you look like you're drunk right now. Randy, I just to paint a picture, he's got a can and a koozie. He's got a Diet Pepsi open. Oh, that can and a koozie is for two days. (laughs) He's got a glass that looks like there's fingerprints all over it, and it's got a little bit of water. (laughs) Then he's got a mug over there. I'm sure it's been there for a minute. Then he's got the bowl of garlic noodles. Then he's got the cup that he's been drinking on, Mike. And then on his uh, left hand, he has uh, the craft of water. Randy, let me tell you about the garlic. (laughs) You take the garlic. You know the best way to, to, to mash up your garlic? You take a bottom of a, a, a soup uh, <laughs> pan and you just fucking wham on that garlic and you smash it. Then you cut it up with a knife. You get it, you get it nice and brown. Okay, you cooking your noodles in the other pot. You get that. You get that garlic a little brown, not too brown, a little brown. Then you want to add the umami. Okay, some people call it umami. I call it umami. Oh, that was really good. <laughs> little soy sauce. Okay. No, you're so out of time. Oyster sauce. Put the noodles in. Cook it down. Pecorino Romano. Garlic noodles. Randy, your thoughts? Sounds good. I, I could not believe. I was looking at my timer, puzzled. That whole time, so I'm like, insane. wait, how many minutes has it been? You had a hell of a day today. <laughs> I, I gave you 13 hours, dude. 
Or actually, it was 14 hours. Uh, it's not enough. I fucking killed that. Thing. I know. It was really good. Thank you. This is why our guests never come back. I think, you know, Steven was busy <laughs> the first time he came on. Didn't have a chance to check out the show. Now that, you know, we, uh, we hung out with him and he liked this, he'll probably check this one out. He'll get halfway through the intro. Yeah. <laughs> Sounds about right. Oh, I have a headache from your fucking Delgado shit. Oh, okay. <laughs> El Gato? Oh, are you done? Are you you're done with everything? I don't know. You want me to talk about another John Grisham no. movie? No, I uh, I can bring it home. Next week, Pelican Brief. What? Blood? We'll talk about Pelican Brief next week. Is that a movie? Yeah, John Grisham. <laughs> By the way, I've seen his house. <laughs> the inside? You have to as a as a Mississippian. <laughs> no. We have uh, we have to respect the works of John Grisham. And I have a I have a movie to talk about. <coughs> All right. God. I gotta get the COVID out before I can talk. You just crow hopped that. I crow hop? Yeah. <laughs> okay. Oh, right. So I I I um stuck it out and I watched the final entry. Also, I hope everybody enjoyed Chuggy being here last week. I did. Um I went down and I finished uh Whispering Corridors with him. And uh, you know how he told that story about like his nails being dirty and the teacher hitting it with a ruler, dude. He, the, the movie, um, what else? The girls had to like get on their knees on top of their desk when the, and hold their arms up as like a punishment too. Chuggy ain't fitting on no desk. You know he he did because they made him do it too, and that's a brutal like it's a strong desk. That's a you know private pile kind of punishment right there. That is, that is. Even like dragging the their desks out into the hallway if they're getting punished for something yeah so like um i i know in the beginning of whispering corridors and even on letterboxd i kept saying i really feel like i need to sit down with somebody who's really into like south korean horror to kind of like you know open my eyes to the history and kind of give me the impact and honestly it was kind of enough with chuggy like just having somebody in the room who's like hey, this shit's real and i did it it kind of gave it more impact and i i don't know i enjoyed watching it with him also the thing um the thing about Chuggy, he is a like hopeless romantic, which is really weird. And any kind of drama, it gets to him really bad. And it can be like melodrama, like Twin Peaks. He'd probably have a hard time with that. I think soap operas in general would just like hit him hard. Mm. And I, um, you know, so I finished the trilogy. Uh, the last installment is called Wishing Stairs. And uh, the plot is Yoon Jing Sung and Kim So Hee our best friend studying ballet at an all-girls art school. Hell yeah. However, their friendship turns sour when they find themselves competing for a single spot in a Russian ballet school. Jin Sung learns from an old from an odd student named Om Hee Jun of an old legend that if a person climbs the 28 steps leading up to the school dormitory and finds a 29th, then a fox spirit will grant the person a wish. Oh, my God. Now, if you know anything about me. That made my head hurt. Me and Randy. One of the first conversations we ever had, I believe, was about 39 steps. Because we are huge Hitchcockian fans. We love film. We're fans of cinema. So when I found out this movie had 29 steps in it, I was incredibly excited. No, you weren't. <laughs> no, I was. You know, I like, I like rules. I like parameters. That's and I, true. I also like interacting with objects. Also... I'll tell you right now, I I fucking love this movie. Really? Finally. You no, know, it you know, here's This is the, the champion of the trilogy. Here's the thing. Um 
There's a lot to unpack, even with what you just said. The thing is, you know, you really got to stick with this shit. I struggled with one and two. Um, And when I got to three, I'm like, you know, I'm going to see it through. Usually in an American franchise, the further we get away from like the big blockbuster, like the initial one, we get a little adventurous. Dude, in this one, it got more like, I want to say American, but I don't think it was an American influence on the film. It straight up got like, oh, fuck. If you can imagine a teenage black swan. Teenage black swan. um, Again, and from uh, Memento Mori. We have another lesbian couple as our as our main uh, protagonist. So we have a lesbian couple at a ballet school. The thing is, one of them is number two, and one of them is number one. And they, uh, oh, they're up against each other. Well, the thing is, only one of them thinks the power couple. The one who's the best one, like the, the the top of her class. Yeah, she's more into her girlfriend of than course. she gives a fuck about the play. Uh, but she makes a passing comment one day after uh, leaving a night of jumping on a bed together. Because they, in unlike a Memento Mori where there's an, an actual kiss on screen, this one, they have like girls sneaking off at a concert together. One of them sneaks into a, the other's bedroom at night, but they, they never get like... No taco buffet? No, nah, there's not even a kiss on the cheek. It's kind of a... They're jumping on the bed together and like playing around. So after a night of playing around, she makes a comment where like, I'm going to be the lead and you can be... Oh, in the play, what was it? It was a Giselle or something. Um, one of them's like, I'll be Giselle and you'll be blank. And then she leaves the room and she's all like, Oh, I'm in love. And then it cuts to the other girl in bed. And she's like, why am I the other one? And, uh, it's done, done, done. And I'll tell you, dude, it made me, the reason I love this movie, it's got a lot of style in it and they do a lot of cool shit in the other two movies. It felt like a soap opera. And I realized a lot of the film was captured in like medium frame or long and there isn't a lot of edits, and we're not really doing much. Well, they're big on the soap opera form out there. For sure. And it, it is kind of a melodrama as far as like our dramas are concerned. In this one, dude, it felt like we were on the, the we were in the um Scream High School. And instead of like Scream with the killer running around, we're doing Black Swan. But then when that kind of hits fruition and one of them makes a wish, then we turn into Nightmare on Elm Street. And it's like, dude. We get dream sequences. Uh, so the if, steps if you are, mean we're doing Black Swan, you mean we're doing um, uh, the anime thing. Perfect Blue. Oh, Perfect Blue. Perfect kind. Yeah. Well, actually, Mimadin kind of shows. I know that reference isn't going to hit either of you, but Perfect Blue even plays a part in this with identity. Dude, they're doing so much in this movie. It's so cool. Also, the setting. Like, um, again, this is almost like a spiritual uh, uh, addition to the franchise. They're, they're not connected in any way, except that they're in a girls' school. But this school is the first one that had character. Like, you go down into the basement, and there are just desks thrown everywhere, and then there's, like, art mixed in, because it's an art college. It's a Banksy. So there's, yeah, exactly. There's paintings, there are sculptures, there are, like, and it just looks like a fucking Terry Gilliam garbage dump. But only in parts of it. So they'll go down a hallway, and now we're in we're in Terry Gilliam nightmare. I like a Gilliam garbage dump. Me too. It's because it's very crowded and like yeah. there's a lot to look at. Dude, this movie. Oh, I'm I'm burying the part that you would love. Here we go. The other character, the oddball that I read about in the uh, description. Yes, she comes on set like she's a fucking Eddie Murphy fat character. Oh, baby. and she's like, "Well, I'm a fat." Yeah, and you know the thing is in in Korea, there's not a lot of 
there ain't a lot of heavy people. So not only is she heavy. Let me tell you something. They fry chicken better than (laughs) any of us. No, she's also the only one without black hair. She's got like, uh, yeah, she's got like a brown thing going on, almost orange. And she is just the fucking outcast. But also cinematically, she's like, like walking down the hall, tripping over shit. You look at her. She's got a bunch of makeup on. And the story kind of kicks off after uh, she's discovered in the basement by a bully. The girl goes down there to smoke cigarettes. And she's like, what the hell are you doing here? And this girl's rolling around on a couch with a bunch of naked dolls. And just like, oh, I'm fat. And then she, she gets bullied by this girl. She's like, I'm sharing this room with you from now on. So she does an art project where she makes the steps. And she's like, I'm going to go wish to the fox. And I'm going to get my wish. And uh, What does the fox say? Well, the fox isn't even, a, I don't know if it's really a fox. You just powered through I that. powered right through that <laughs> one. And uh, she makes the wish. And um, she, she's kind of operating in the background in the film. But the next time you see her, she's skinny. And someone's like, hey, what the hell? And she's like, oh, you notice anything different? <laughs> it's like, yeah, you left your fat suit at home. Oh. But she's like, yeah, I lost all my weight. I uh, diet now. And they're like, how the hell did you do that? I diet now. And she clearly doesn't because they cut to a scene with her in the cafeteria. And she's literally like comedically like, like eating food. And then two girls are looking at her and they're like, here, have some more. You're crushing it with the Foley work today. Dude, I... <laughs> I was getting pumped. The movie was fucking good. And uh, it looks good. I think it it came out in like 2002, 2003. I've just been told. Okay. 2003. And it's like the year before the grudge. So two years after the towers, we actually get a little bit of, um, (laughs) like the other ones had none of that. Like, uh, what turned into like an Asian cliche of like, Oh, I'm a ghost with hair in my eyes and I crawl. They do that in this movie one time. And I was like, oh, here we go. America caught on and they're just trying to make money. But no, it did, it hadn't happened yet. Actually, I think Juwan came out the year before. So they might have been into Juwan and like took a little bit from that. But dude, you know, I, I doubt a lot of people are going to go seek this movie out. So I'll tell you, the other girl, um, she wishes to, to get the lead role. She's like, I want the lead role in the play. Well, you know, like every good monkey paw movie. You get your wish, just probably not the way you were hoping for. Yeah. So her and her lover have a little spat on the stairway because she's mad at her because she just did better in the audition. And uh, one thing leads to another, and the girl throws her down the stairs. So the lead girl is now crippled. Cut to her in a hospital. She's now in a wheelchair. And, uh, you know, the girl that threw her down is feeling kind of bad about it, even though she's now the lead. And she goes to visit her, and she brings her flowers, and the other girl just won't even look at her. And then she gets visited by her at night again. And she's like, oh, we had a great night of jumping on my bed again. And it's all fun. And then she wakes up and goes to school. And everybody's like, she's dead. She killed herself. And then we cut to a mangled body in the rain <laughs> of her. Uh, I, somehow in that wheelchair, she jumped out of the hospital window. And now she's dead. Now, the oddball with the, with the non-black hair. Apparently, she was in love with that girl. So she makes another wish. She goes up there and she wishes to have her back. So she becomes possessed by this girl now and starts murdering people in the school. Oh, she kills one of them and turns them into a sculpture. And then a teacher comes down like and and 
there's no like comedy tone to any of this. Mm-hmm. So he's looking for the weird girl that uh, the bully that wanted to work in the basement, and she comes. He comes down there and he's like, "It's good work." And he writes her a letter just saying, "Great job," and puts it on the sculpture, which is her dead body in clay. It, dude, this movie's a banger. It's really good. I didn't give it five stars on Letterbox only because I think it's like ten minutes too long. But I mean, um, how often are you giving out five stars? Oh, too much. Too if often. You look at, if you look at my Letterbox, <laughs> well, here's the thing, Randy. What's the last five star you gave out? <laughs> um, what was the Chloe Zhao movie? Nomadland. Yeah, probably oh, okay. that. That was a fiver. I think it was. Yeah. Oh, He's got five on it. Now, oh, I'm glad you abandoned that. Yep. <laughs> for a minute, you were really going to try. Yep. And I, I was going to be very quiet for that. Nope. I, I felt it in the room. I know. <laughs> no, the thing is, I end up watching a lot of movies that um, I'm kind of like, you know, predetermined to be into. But like, I mean, I gave Promising Young Woman like two. <laughs> yeah. But I don't give out a lot of ones. Too many. I really don't hate a film. I, I love a that lot. That is not true. Like what? Well, that I've watched recently. I could think of movies that I hate, but Velvet I'm Velvet Bustle. Yeah, but I, I mean, <laughs> I'd have to watch that right now for me to put it on Letterboxd. I'm not going back through catalog. I'm only doing the diary thing. So. How many, how many movies have you seen this year? This year, not enough. I'm at 30. I was on a roll for a minute and then I'm, I'm off. Randy, where are you? I think I'm at like 45. Miss Miss Forty Five. Now the, Good the film? other thing is that on the list of no things that I've seen this year. Yeah, yeah. No, I saw it last year. Yeah, I know you can rewatch it again. Oh my god! Okay, no, no Country for Old Men's <laughs> on my list, bro. Now, these first time I've seen that one. The other thing I learned about uh, Wishing Stairs, the end of the trilogy, the end of my box set, is that it's only half of the films. There are three more. Oh, I found no. three more movies, and uh, they, well, you don't have to commit to that. I'm, why not? Because you don't have the box set. I well, I don't think they're actually in a box set. All the names are. I don't. They look like they might have been done by different production companies or something. But uh, I'm going to check them out. The and, whole thing was the Ghost School trilogy, not the Ghost School Six. Yeah, but honestly, there was no connective tissue here anyway. It was just you know South Korea and. The connective tissue was literally the tissue of the cardboard that had yeah. binded all these together. Yeah, I know. And um, I, I'd like to continue. I feel like they just got me here okay. on this last and one. They, I'm really into you it. You understand this is a carrot stick situation. Yeah, I know. But also, it's like, if I don't watch it, who's going to? And, uh, you know, I Koreans. Wanna, well, I want to talk to the people love that it. did. Well, I mean, in America. Our Koreans. Co- you've scared off our <laughs> Korean audience. <laughs> What are you talking about? I love the Koreans. Yeah, but they don't love you. I love their chicken. Asian women do not like me, and it's very depressing. Why? <laughs> I'm attracted to Asian ladies, but they they just I think they just like sense my bad credit and just <laughs> go the other way. All right. It's yeah, no, it it's good. I highly recommend that film. Skip the first two. I know a lot of people, if they sat down with them, they'd just be like boring. And I'll tell you, there's one thing this movie isn't, and it's fucking boring. It's this, good. This is the only one that you've remotely sold me on. Well, the other ones, dude, I would never. It, Chuggy Love? I always think in my head, if I put this on and, and you came over and it was like we got 90 minutes to hang out, 
that I'm not throwing on one of those movies because you'd be like, I'm never coming back. <laughs> I'm not coming back over here. You're putting on this garbage. Do you know the bullshit that you've made me watch down there? And I, I come <laughs> like back. what? I'm a glutton for punishment. No. Well, you live with me. There, it's different. Yeah. Yeah. It's fair. But there are a lot of times where I'm just like, I'm not, I live here and I'm not hanging out. <laughs> yeah. But I, that's a different thing. That's too. my MO. I mostly think about when you convinced Randy to hang out and then you showed him carnival magic and you leaned on his shoulder and were like, check it out. Check it out. The monkey's okay. about to drive a car. Okay. <laughs> And then you Randy. keep telling the story, and it's just not true. It's at least Randy. half true. Okay. <laughs> First of all, I'm not going to say that there wasn't an excitement in the room on my behalf. I'm not going to deny that. What I will say is that I will never touch Randy without his consent. Because <laughs> Randy and I are... a uh, aligned in that perspective where we don't like body touching. Okay. Agreed. Especially I, I touch both of you. Pre-COVID, post-COVID. Doesn't matter. Well, it's never going away, so get used to it now. Yeah, baby. I'm good with masks. <laughs> Hell yeah, same. I couldn't really breathe in mine the other day. How though. many are you wearing now, Randy? Two or three? Uh, when I go into work, I do two. Randy, have you done the face shield situation? How many condoms you got on? <laughs> Zero, because I don't need to, baby. Oh, you raw dog is No, man. because I'm celibate, baby. <laughs> I was talking finger condoms anyway, whatever. Thingies. I don't usually do gloves. I'm not too afraid of catching it on my uh, on my hands. I sanitize a lot when I go to work and think I'm good. Dude, what if you wore the dice gloves, but then you put the finger condoms on? I don't know what the dice gloves are. <laughs> Fingerless gloves. Oh, uh, yeah, you got to do fingerless gloves. Yeah, that's but then you put the finger condoms, condoms on. <laughs> that's uh, that's oxymoron. I don't know what that is. See if someone's done that. We've got a picture. No, there's nobody's done it. It's ours. <laughs> she just puts dice gloves. With Italiano. <laughs> what the hell does that what mean? Dice gloves <laughs> with Italiano. We just search that. Oh, get that screenshot. Yeah. Yeah. Why are there D&D? &D? What the hell? Dice oh, gloves. Dice gloves. It's, oh, it's like oh, it, they're talking about like D10s and D4s. Not Andrew Dice Clay. I know. I I got very excited because I could see you get bored instantly. That's true. <laughs> I'm gonna die. All right, wrap this up. All right, can we watch that thing? Can we watch Dogadios? What the cat? Yeah, can we watch the cat? I don't care. The cat. I have work to do. You can put it on in the background. Randy, do you think? No, incorrect. You commit. Okay. Yeah, you got to pay attention. You oh. have to. You got to be committed. Let me tell you something. What he does with the cards, pure magic. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> All right, Randy, you got anything else? Yeah, yeah, no picture. Just no uh, picture. I do not have anything else. Oh, no. All right. Uh, so enjoy uh, the episode that we have with Steven. He was uh, gracious enough to come back. We talked to him for a brief time. Uh, two weeks ago, uh, prior to the release of Psycho Gorman, now we talked to him post, and we barely talk about the film. Uh, we barely talk about any of his films. Any of with his him, films. And we talked to him <laughs> well over an hour. Uh, we had a great talk with Steven. Uh, I'm just going to let you know. I think we played mind games with our guest, as far as we I'm did. <laughs> we 100, this was a game 
of Queen's Gambit was our guest. <laughs> All right. Rush, you went in there with your Rook 7, and he came in with his Knight 4. I don't oh, know yeah. chess. It's a very stupid game as far as I'm concerned. And if you want to put chess and checkers together and you say smart people play chess and dumb people play checkers, fucking live your life. I don't care. <laughs> fucking checkers rips, and chess is for fucking nerds. What about Chinese checkers? Also kind of weird. I don't need the it's all it's too pointy. It's very strange, the Chinese checkers. I never played it. Randy, your thoughts. <laughs> I'm gonna uh, Google search and find out if Chinese checkers is problematic or not. Uh, oh my god. <laughs> oh, thank you, Randy. <laughs> all right. Um, yes, so yes, I'm that's all I'll say. I'll cue it up saying that Russ came in. We were both in the same th- we so talk about it up top we do yeah it's fine but uh it worked out and so it's a, a little different speed of an interview as we go for a solid 30 minutes and, you know on sidetracks a thing worth mentioning that we never do is we don't pre-screen people we don't talk to them at all before the interview hits you know like Again, we're recording we're not we're not tg over here yeah right? but i mean even Jerry i'm gross. Well, I mean, even if you're going to look at podcasts, like Joe Rogan hangs out with the people because they're there. They have a nice steak dinner like, before. They eat elk. When we, when we used to record at uh, the other location, the last one, we would have people in guest and we would be able to be like, hey, what's up? Like, welcome to the place. Show them around. And that icebreaker right there, it does all the heavy lifting. But when we're like, hey, did you get the Zoom link? You yeah. know what I mean? Or like and then some also, shit. we don't see them. Yeah, we don't see them because we're hiding. And uh, yeah, it's it's a completely different game. And I, you know, me and Clark always talk about the moment where you can tell the conversation will flip. And I think with like uh, Jordan Graham last week, it happened pretty early. But sometimes, man, it takes people like a half hour to get on board with us. Also, and- for the record, I just want to say, I think we talk about ourselves too much to the guests. That's fine. I mean, is it? I don't know. We're self-important. <laughs> I don't know. It works. I think we're too self-important. I don't know. I think Randy would have told us straight up. Randy, that's why I'm going to you for guidance, because I think we're a little self-involved in our interviews. <laughs> Aren't we all? <laughs> Randy, you're no help. That's why, right. that's why we have a podcast. <laughs> Dude. <sighs> he brings up valid points. He does. And if you want to complain and uh, make Clark feel better, go ahead and email us. That is still a thing. Even though I haven't looked at it. Yeah, where's female bag band-aid? No. How many podcasts do you email? Tim Dillon? No, you did. (laughs) Yo, Timmy D, you you check out Gatto? (laughs) He was late this week. He was several hours late. He already made the move to Texas, dude, in a week. Okay. He's already there. All right. All right. Enjoy the interview with Stephen Kostansky. And we'll see you. All right. Can I just clear the air right off the bat? Sure. So, Steve, thank you for coming back. Yeah, no problem. Now, I'm calling you Steve just because you put your name as that in Zencaster, and I'm not going to be able to get away from it. Um, You're allowed. It's okay. I'll allow it. Thank you. 
Now, God, man, I feel so weird right now. So me and me and Clark before again we live together. We were downstairs and I threw on YouTube, and I was just like, "Let's see what uh, Steven's been up to, like how people are receiving the film." And oh my God, I had like a weird. I don't know. What are we? Are we? Are we artists for making a podcast? I no. feel like we're not. <laughs> no. I know, and you know, I just felt very like weird being a part of this community. I'm like, oh, I don't know. I don't. I feel like a lot of the dudes that are doing what we're doing are just like dudes who are into film. And I, I mean, I know that's Which what we, we are. are. I know, but I feel like they're lazy and there's no like craft there. Like people don't think critically about what they're doing. And then I started thinking of, oh God, we're having Steven back on here. He probably fucking hates doing podcasts. So I don't, how's it been touring? Like what's it like being an artist and going on all these weird little, I don't know, audio islands and I mean, you're kind of blind. I mean, honestly, like, it's exhausting for me because I'm an introvert and it like takes all my energy to do this. Like I have to like take a nap after this, but at the same time, this is like the only way I, like it's kind of, this is kind of recapturing the fun of like going to conventions or film festivals and just talking to random horror and genre people about movies and stuff. Like that's what I've liked about doing this like whole press tour for PG is that, the interviews, like, if I get a little bit more time than 15 minutes, which is was a lot of them, and that's an absurdly short period of time to talk about anything. But uh, usually they get derailed, and I can just, like, ramble about how much I love Phantasm or something like that. So <laughs> that, that's been the best part of this, is just being able to have, like, movie chats about stuff with people and getting, like, different opinions on things. So, I mean, it's it's kind of juggling that with me you know, being exhausted by being social, but also desperately wanting to just talk movies with people. So yeah, it's, it's been a lot better than I was expecting it to be. I thought it was going to be way more punishing and it was punishing. <laughs> it was like punishing physically and that it like wore me out. But at the same time, I don't know. I could talk to people all day about this kind of stuff. So yeah, yeah. it's been fun. I think my fear comes from like, I feel like there's eh, a lot of confusion in like the digital world and it's hard to gauge like what time is worth being spent. And I, I also imagine sometimes that like we've created like a, a sort of like digital bear trap and we get, we like lure an artist in here and we're like, we got you and you're trapped for an hour because I mean, some, man, I listen to podcasts all day and some of them are terribly boring. And that's my deep-rooted fears. I just don't want to waste your time and bore people who listen. And there are times when I'm listening, and I'm like, man, y'all have, like, no energy. And this, you got, like, a three-hour podcast, and you have a guest. Like, I just, I don't want to do that to you. And I, I had, like, a weird existential horror moment downstairs watching YouTube. And I'm like, oh, God, are we this, Clark? And he was like, I, that's my fear, too. <laughs> Yeah, but I just keep it buttoned up. You I understand? Know. I couldn't do it though. I was just like, man, he's well, coming I, back. Here, I'll give you two couple questions off the top. Don't even bother with because I've been asked them a hundred times, and I'm real Thank tired you. of answering them. Is like, Thank where'd you get the idea for PG? And also, <laughs> uh, the kids were really great. Like, what was it like working with kids? Like, I've answered those questions to death. So we could just skip over that. I feel like if people want those answers, they're out there. And uh, yeah, if we could talk about other <laughs> anything but those those specific questions, I'm all for it. Perfect. What was it like working with adults? 
Anyways, I gotta go. It's been great talking to you guys. No, I mean, dude, Steve. So I, me and Clark have very different approaches to the show. Clark is, you know, he's very quiet, and then he shows up and he brings a big energy. Me, I have a nervous energy, and I write down a bunch of questions, and I don't usually read any of them. Now, when I listen to like fucking a YouTube podcast and I hear the questions I was writing down, I'm like, oh god, I'm a fucking hack. <laughs> it's like. I, I hacks. Yeah, I know. But it's like navigating that area. But and you know what else? We're also not hacks because we're talking to an artist right now who, dude, you make horror comedy or comedy horror. And I fucking Big distinction. I hate that genre. Yeah. Both of them. I really oh, don't. Oh, it's like awful. Either. It's it's a bad genre to be operating in. And that's why when I make movies, I try to never call them comedies. They kind of just become comedies. Like, yeah. like eventually that label gets put on them and even like, yeah, when I'm writing stuff, I'm like, this is funny. These moments are funny, but that label of like horror comedy or sci-fi comedy to me is such poison for yeah. your movie that it's better to almost like pretend that it's being played straight. Or, I mean, I shouldn't say pretend because I, I always approach these things like with a level of seriousness, even the humor. Um, but yeah, there's just like a type of movie that that label is associated with. And I just, I do everything I can to stay away from that kind of like wink at the camera bullshit that, uh, has given those, those kind of like genre mishmashes a bad name. So Steven, like in today's like climate, especially now where streaming is even more of a necessity in terms of, of watching film, do you think that those constraints are, are even uh, bigger now to where like something needs to be within these little genre pockets. I don't know. It's like, because with PG I was operating in such a weird bubble of just like a perfect storm of events that led to me making this movie exactly the way I wanted to make it. And I got to skip over all the conversations that preceded like things like Leprechaun and the void where people were like, well, like, we need to figure out like what the demographic is for this. And like, <laughs> let's talk about like the metrics of different, like kinds of horror movies. Like what's in right now. Like I'm so sick of those conversations and I hate them because it's like, that has nothing to do with making art and telling a story. Yeah. Uh, and it's like, that's how, that's how dumb people I think weasel their way into the industry is like debating that kind of minutia the same way, like at production meetings, anybody who brings up like logic things, you can tell they're not a creative and they're just like, I, I have an opinion too. Uh, but anyways, getting totally off topic, but uh, to go back to fitting into like these genre boxes, kind of feel like right now it's a bit of a wild West situation with streaming. Uh, I mean, there's definitely that vibe of like, if a thing's successful, copy the thing. Like, I don't think that's ever going to go away. Um, and people talking in shorthand isn't going to go away being like, oh, so it's kind of like uh, Stranger Things uh, meets Ozark or sure. like something like that. <laughs> yeah. It's like, like people like just putting two popular things together and being like, so it's like that. Like that's my only way of uh, wrapping my brain around this thing you're pitching. But I do think because now there's like such a variety in streaming and they just want content so bad that the impression I'm getting is that it's pretty loose in terms of like just making stuff and like what you're able to make 
And just based on the response to PG, especially, and like with the distributors being so happy with it and Shudder being so on board, like even before the movie was made, I felt like they were on board and chasing this project. So like, I don't know. I feel like that as long as there's just like creativity on display, I think you have a chance of getting your project made and getting it out there. Like as long as there's stuff in it that excites people, uh, regardless of what genre box it fits into. Uh, I think that'll get you attention. Now, Steven, you're a very creative filmmaker. Are you, do you get like a deep uh, pain in your stomach when you hear the word content? (laughs) Yeah, I mean, and I've started using it too. Like I just can't help it because that's what, you know, all the higher ups use that term now. So I feel like I have to adopt it to like speak that language. So calling movies content makes me a little sick. Uh, But, yeah, it's depressing that it's that everything is just becoming product now. Yeah, and we at the rate we consume it is so fucking crazy. It's troubling. And it's just more and more and more. We're in like the pinnacle of entertainment and I got I got kind of chewed out on the phone. I was speaking to a film programmer out here in SF uh, recently and I kept saying content and he was like, "You know, every time I hear that word I want to choke somebody." <laughs> and I had to, I had to tell him, well, you know, I was listening to Kenny Hotz and he really opened my eyes to it because he was, he was again on a podcast on the internet and, uh, somebody mentioned how TikTok has like basically taken their brand and run with it. And he was like, no, you don't understand. He's like, there's a difference between making a uh, project, like making a comedy show and making a TikTok post. And he was like, content creators are out there to be famous. And, you know, he's like, me and Spenny, we thought everybody was going to hate us anyway. And he's like, we knew women weren't going to watch the show. The only thing we cared about was the good product. And I'd, are you a Kenny vs. Spenny fan? I mean, I've watched bits of it. I wouldn't say I'm not a fan. I just haven't really, it was never really on at a time that I was able to watch it. So oh, I guess that's a long, a long form way of saying, like, I've seen bits and pieces, but not much beyond that. But I'm well, well aware of it recently it dude it's all on youtube now and it's exploded like we used to watch it like pre to playing dnd like one of my friends would come over uh chuggy who was on last week and we would sit there and watch one episode and it's then nice go appetizer. well dude it would be like a hundred thousand views but went on there yesterday over two million yeah so they found wow. like new life you know years after the show was done but i had never heard anybody refer to tiktok content and stuff like it is about just being famous. It's not really the what you're putting out there is supposed to live on its own. And uh, I, again, this ties back to Psycho Gorman because when I was having that existential horror moment of oh my god, we're wasting Steven's time, I was like, well, how could we how could we get out there more? And I was like, we got to make a TikTok. And oh, then <laughs> have fun. And then I was thinking, well, how how thematically inappropriate would that be to put Psycho Gorman on TikTok? in an attempt to reach little kids with a product that's basically making fun of RoboCop meet, reaching little kids. Yeah. <laughs> right? I'm like, I don't... Have you seen your stuff on TikTok, Stephen? <laughs> Is there stuff on TikTok that I'm not seeing that's Psycho Gorman related? I'm, I'm not on TikTok, so I, I wouldn't know. It's like, I'm not on Twitter and I'm not on TikTok. And I'm, I have days where I'm like, am I stupid for not doing those things? And uh, other days I'm like, I think I'm in a good spot not doing those things. Yeah, and I only feel that way right before we have a guest on and I get terrified that we're wasting your time. 
<laughs> I'm like, we need to make a fucking TikTok. I mean, the thing is, Psycho Gorman would just work for it because the visuals, like you could be the most ADD uh, riddled individual and see two seconds of Which pretty is, much. TikTok is your home. Yeah. And you could watch two seconds of this movie and one, be entertained, and two, think it might be for children. That's and, true. And I mean, fuck, Megan is Missing was killing on TikTok. Oh, yeah, that was wild. Yeah, I don't know what that is. You, oh, Megan is, okay. So uh, we end up talking a lot about found footage on here. And I'll, I'll keep this brief for everybody listening. You never do. I never do. Um, Megan is Missing was made by uh, a prolific cinematographer who was head of the American um, Cinematographers Guild. It's in Michael Goy. And uh, he made a film. He was disturbed by an article he read in the newspaper that was about a girl being abducted. And it got in his head where he's like, you know, I'm going to read this article and then I'm going to go on with my life. And it, I'll, I'll probably forget later in the day. So he said, I want to make a film that makes people remember. And it's kind of that cannibal Holocaust thing where it's like, I want to punish the audience into changing. Except he employed a completely different um, film narrative. He went found footage because he really wanted this to feel real and linger with people. And of course, it's about two girls who go missing and uh, it doesn't end up well for them. But last year, or yeah, last year at the end of 2020, it turned into a TikTok challenge where people were like, you, I dare you to watch Megan is Missing. And the whole idea was you record yourself and post a TikTok during and after. And uh, I'll tell you right now, Stephen, the product is a lot of crying children. Wow. But, I mean, like millions of them. Jesus. Yeah. Okay. That's pretty insane. <laughs> but you know, it's funny because you go on Twitter and Michael Goy's just like, hey, my movie. <laughs> People are watching it. And it's like, this is kind of what he wanted. But 10 years removed. 10 years removed. And also maybe not for literal children. I think it was more of a PSA for parents, but yeah. Oh man. And I the girls uh, 14, I think in the film. Yeah. And I, I went, I, I did a little video for Grimfest where they wanted me to review it. And I watched like maybe a half hour of these TikToks before. And I just, it crushed my soul. <laughs> Jesus. Yeah. But I was like, yeah. you know what? Psycho Gorman, it could work on here. <laughs> like just videos of kids loving Psycho Gorman. I have been getting sent like I've had a few sent my way of like parents watching the movie with their young kids and their kids like flipping out over it, which I mean, I, I don't want to be responsible for <laughs> like <laughs> the, the kids like, yeah, losing their minds over this and, you know, being responsible for them watching something they shouldn't be watching. But at the same time, like I'm enjoying seeing them, you know, have that much fun and be that inspired by it. Like, I mean, the whole point to me is to like, inspire that one kid that grows up to continue this tradition of making crazy monster movies. So, I mean, maybe there is a life in TikTok for this movie. Uh, of just, I'm not advocating for it, just to be of, clear. <laughs> of parents showing it to their kids and kind of like showing how they react to it. So, yeah, but, I mean, um, it would only add to the heat that I'm already getting <laughs> for this movie uh, not being appropriate for kids. So why not? Why not stoke that fire a little bit more? But Steven, does does a kids film intrigue you as a director? Like, you know, if you were to go spy kids with it? Like to just do a straight up kids movie? Yeah. Yeah. Oh yeah. To me, that's like the biggest challenge as a filmmaker. Like, and especially being in the genre world where the attitude seems to be like the more extreme you make a thing, the better it is. 
I think that being able to tell a story that's entertaining for kids and adults and that doesn't require on any kind of like shock value to be good, I think is like the ultimate test of a filmmaker. So yeah, I, I would love to make a kid's movie. I mean, one of my favorite movies is Christmas Story. And that to me is just like a perfect movie across the board. So I would like to make something that good someday, I think is like, it's an insanely high bar to set, but uh, I, I would definitely challenge myself to try and do it at some point in my career. I think it would be a lot of fun. Or on the other aspect of that, you could end up with a carnival magic. You know, you got, you got <laughs> Al Adamson, who's this exploitation B movie director, and he decides to make a kid's film and, you know, we still don't know what that movie is, which is great, which is why I love it. But, I've uh, never even heard of this movie, Carnival Magic. Okay. So, uh, Al Adamson. Uh, are you aware of Al Adamson? Refresh my memory. Okay. So, he is a uh, director who did primarily B-movies and, and drive-ins. and He did, uh, what was his big one? Um, what was the one with uh, Russ Tamblin? He did. Oh, I have no. Al Adamson's your your boy. Uh, yeah. So he did movies like Dracula versus Frankenstein, Cinderella two thousand, uh-huh. uh, Brain of Blood. Brain of Blood was one of the big ones. But yeah. So he and then in nineteen eighty three he did a movie called Carnival Magic. So he wanted to make a kids film. Well, Stephen, in this kids film, uh, there is a talking ape who sexually harasses women. <laughs> Uh, there uh-huh. is a lion, ta- an alcoholic lion tamer who beats his wife. Uh, <laughs> the ape uh, steals a car and then also tries to commit suicide in a human hospital. Okay. So this is a movie for children. Um, well, that's and, cool. Oh, oh, also, I totally forgot the statutory rape. That's also a part <laughs> of the story as well. Um, and, so, yeah. So, and, and as I'm like reading his Wikipedia, so he was murdered? <laughs> also, so Stephen, there's a fantastic documentary um, uh, through Severn Films. Uh, what, is, what is the name of the doc? Russ, can you pull that oh, up? Because it's, it's, it's rather name. long. Yeah. Uh, documentary about Al Adamson. And yes, he was murdered by his live-in handyman in Indio, and he was buried under his jacuzzi. Okay. <laughs> yeah, it's called Blood and Flesh, The Real Life of and Ghastly Death of Al Adamson. Highly recommend right. to check it out. He, he's a fantastic character and uh, no longer with us. He, uh, <laughs> the, if you if you hire an, a, a live-in handyman, you know, go through a very strenuous background check. Yeah. Well, I mean, who like I don't know. Seems like a weird live-in character to have a oh, live-in handyman. Well, he's a very weird character himself. And uh, I mean, he made a movie called Doctor Dracula. So <laughs> of course, he's it's very good. Okay, I'll look up this documentary. Thank you for the recommendation. And also, Stephen, may I recommend, check out Carnival Magic, and then if you want to remake Carnival Magic, <laughs> you you have my blessing. <laughs> okay, we'll see. We'll see about that one. I'm not a big, like, carnival nut. I mean, I, I love uh, Fun House. That's a great movie. But uh, oh, yeah. I don't have the same, like, carnival, carny, clown, like, the kind of, like, Rob Zombie shtick i don't oh, really yeah. i don't have that kind of i don't know i don't i'm not entertained by that kind of stuff as much as other people so i don't see myself doing a carnival movie anytime soon but you know, uh, on, on al adamson's uh defense i don't think he was either yeah i think he was like <laughs> children oh yeah they like the circus yeah let's do that because there's <laughs> he clearly has no idea what happens there. no 
No, this movie's wild, man. Also, I mean, well, Steven, have you ever worked with animals? Uh, yeah, we had a we had a goat on Leprechaun Returns that was supposed to be one of those fainting goats, uh, oh, but they don't oh. they don't have those in South Africa. We learned uh, when we're well into pre production on the movie, and uh, so we just had to get a regular goat and then try to get it to like lay down. <laughs> or just like or another thing we would do is like the handler would like hold the hold the goat down and then on action let go of the goat and the goat would stand up and we had like a left because okay so the whole gag was we set up these fainting goats at this farm uh that all the you know sorority girls are like fixing up and there's a fainting goat there they see it they scare it it like freezes up and it tips over haha ha. and it's like that's like the buried gun for later in the movie when the, uh, everybody drives away in the Prius and the leprechaun is going to chase them. He eventually gets on a drone and is chasing them on a drone. Uh, but before that, he's supposed to get on the goat to ride the goat to chase the car. And then the goat faints and it tips over and he falls over and he falls in some goat poop. Great joke. <laughs> Would have been awesome. But uh, we didn't have a fainting goat. So we made a leprechaun, like basically a puppet that we sat on the goat. Uh, when we tipped it over and then, or like put it on the ground and then let it stand up with the leprechaun on it. And we had like fishing line, like holding the leprechaun up a bit. It was just the most clunky, low budget attempt at this gag. And it was a thing like when we were discussing it, I was like, how about we just don't do this gag? Uh, <laughs> but everybody was so adamant. The higher ups were like, no, we got to have this gag with the goat. And so we shot it this way. We cut it together. It looked awful. We showed it to the producers. They were like, that looks awful. Cut it out. And I was like, thank you. There we go. It was a, you know, a long road to get to something that I pitched very early on. So in conclusion, yes, I've worked with animals. And that was my most recent adventure with Juan. Now, Stephen, just to be clear, if, you've, if you want to go on a tangent, just do it. Uh, oh, I we, just we, did. I know. I'm, don't, don't apologize. The goat poop story is probably the best thing we're going to get here. <laughs> we're gonna sell the episode. Yeah, <laughs> is there anywhere where we could like watch that, or did that like get burned up? I don't know. I I'll have to ask the editor. He might. Chris might have uh, like early cuts of the movie, like there because there was like the first pass that we did that we showed uh, to the producers, uh, and I believe that cut had that gag in it. I'll have to search for it. It, it may be <laughs> lost to time. But uh, it also may be living in some low res edit of the movie somewhere on a hard drive. So I'll look into it. Now, we were talking about like comedy and horror earlier. And the I feel like you could be on a set where people would be like, yeah, it looks terrible. That's funny. Leave it in the movie. Like, does comedy really just come down to instinct? Yeah, I think a lot of it is instinct and taste. I mean, because there's so much stuff like, like there's definitely moments in PG where I was like, this is so dumb. It has to stay in. But then other times where it's stuff where I'm like, this is too dumb. This has to get cut out. And so I don't know. It's hard to say. I think it's, it's like, you just gotta, gotta trust your gut with this stuff. Um, well, a lot and, of it has to do with timing. And if you know, you got yeah. timing or you don't. Well, I mean, if you're like director, editor, special effects, maker, writer, like everything, sure. Stephen was, you, I feel like you control the world. But the thing is, like, it's like Tipper Gore said in reference to <laughs> pornography in the 1980s. 
you don't know it and you know it when you see it. Oh, you ruined your favorite quote I guess right I there. Did. <laughs> Sorry, Jim. I'll well, email him. You got you know, there. I, I, <laughs> well, little little uh, tricky on the runway, but uh. <laughs> well, the thing is, comedy horror like they make me cringe mostly. Yet, you know, I've been going back through your your discography again because your film. Why do I always call it discography? Because you're an idiot. I'm an idiot. I know. <laughs> you know, through your filmography, and I'm like, why do I like your work? And when I, I I thought about it a lot, and I think it's really just the camera language, like the craft of a dumb joke is, is worth something. And I mean, like yeah. throwaway stuff, like you know, the the slow zoom on PG when he's uh having a revelation about hunky guys hunky boys hunky boys is my favorite part dude that joke found a life on the internet i've seen fan art of oh, people yeah. where he's, people he's just love reading it. dude <laughs> like like how could you know <laughs> like well that's i mean it, it for me also there's a few layers to it the first layer is the slow zoom which i am a huge fan of and i try yeah. to force into every movie i make i the camera that i used to shoot my very early clunky shorts on like back in the early 2000s had a nice slow zoom function so i was constantly zooming in all my scenes and it just helped give them a bit of life and like it just because it it adds like dramatic weight to a thing so you apply that to like a moment like him saying i do not care for hunky boys or do i and suddenly it 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 just adds to this sense of him like coming to this conclusion that he's actually like he's confident he thinks he's confident about something he's actually not and like using the zooms to help sell that uh and yeah yeah just other bits of camera language um is just how you make those jokes work like because so much of making movies to me is uh kind of experimenting with those kinds of techniques and and style like i'm i grew up in such stylish movies and i feel like it's a thing that we're not getting very much anymore like crazy camera work movies like i mean early sam raimi stuff uh like yuhei kitamura's stuff like to me versus is like one of the most stylish movies ever oh yeah and it's like if you took the style away it would be so boring because it's so much of just like like cool gangsters talking cool to each other but if you have the camera like whipping around them constantly while they're talking, suddenly it's like, oh, this is the most exciting thing ever. <laughs> so I want to try to like inject that into my movies to just give that extra layer of energy that I think uh, gives these types of movies that that special cinematic quality that I think uh, a lot of stuff now is is forgetting about. I think it, it's like a bit of a lost art, those kinds of camera techniques. Dude, Steven just helped me articulate something. I often on this show complain about things I call cool guy movies. And I don't know why I don't like them. But like Clark, what's a cool guy movie that I complain about? Pulp Fiction? Eh, kinda. You know, but I I think... Swordfish. But, yeah. Swordfish. Dude, and, and I, I just hate it where, you know, the, the script is telling me these characters are cool. Except I'm not buying it. That's my main concern with a lot of those films. Yeah. And I think you're right because Versus is a fucking cool guy movie. Yet I've never thought of it that way. Because it's, but it's so such a it's also such a sincere goofy cool guy movie. Like it's a cool guy movie that's like mixed with Highlander and Dawn of the Dead. Like that I think that helps off balance the uh 
yeah, the like Yakuza stuff that if it was just that, I think the movie would be pretty obnoxious. Yeah. And it kind of came out at a time where there wasn't like, I don't know, nerd culture wasn't really praising those films like we do now. Like what, like again, getting back to like being a hack horror podcast, I just early on, I was telling Clark, we can't be looking backwards all the time. Like if we're just talking about 80, 80s horror movies, it's that's what everybody's fucking doing. And it's got to be a different conversation. I And with, with verses, I think, you know, those references and, and where the, um, the style is coming from, it's kind of got a, I don't give a fuck in it. Like, Hey, I'm a dork and I like these movies. And that's really oh, what yeah. being cool is, is not caring. And I, oh, yeah. I feel like all those fucking cool guy movies, they care so much. Yeah. They that's the problem so is they much. care a lot about being cool. Yeah, man. Versus, oh man, I I owe you one for that. There's been hours on this show where I'm just like, oh, you know, cool guy. Like they got guns and they're driving a fast car. You know, I hate those movies. Yeah, and then <laughs> like, Guy Ritchie comes into the conversation. Yeah, but I liked his King Arthur. I you, thought that was I, fucking bizarre. You made I, me his King Arthur movie. I feel like is the closest we're gonna get to a big budget Death Stalker movie. Oh, because uh, <laughs> it's just so. Like it feels, it feels to me like it has a little bit of DNA from like eighties, like the not Conan, like fantasy, like sword and sorcery movies, like, like something like sword and the sorcerer. Like it it just feels like that, except it had way too much money for it. Well, and it's still got that, like that, like quick edit choppy dialogue about them doing a heist. Like that still happens oh, in really? that movie. I, yeah. I know. I like that it's still like a Guy Ritchie, like gangster heist movie. Like he, like he somehow forced that into this King Arthur narrative in the most absurd way. I just, yeah, I have a soft spot for that movie because it's such a a weird experiment, and I don't no. think we're ever going to get anything like it again. No, I mean people fucking hated it. No, I mean they lost <laughs> millions and millions of dollars. Yeah, I watched. Dude, so another thing that terrifies me is flying on a plane. And that's where I watched it. I took a cocktail oh, of uh, any kind of drug that I thought would like put me to sleep. Never works. And then I was like, well, I, you know, I'll try and watch a movie. And then I threw that on and I was like, yeah, I didn't hate it. It's scientifically proven. I know. <laughs> that you enjoy films more on airplanes. And yeah, one I should have been averse to, too. This is, this is a fact. Now, I feel like I fucked up last time because I came at you with the D&D question. But dropping uh-huh. Deathstalker is something no guest has ever done on this show. Now, uh, well, I love Deathstalker a little too much, specifically Deathstalker Two, which we can all agree is the best one, uh, the Jim Wynorski one. Uh, but yeah, what do you guys think about <laughs> Deathstalker? Clark, is- I've just now learned of Deathstalker. <laughs> my, oh man, my my history of Deathstalker is uh, I remember the midriff armor really infuriating me when I first saw it. In the first one, there's a guy who has leather armor that yeah. exposes his abs completely. Yeah. I'm well, like, I the mean, f- there's there's also <laughs> the woman who has armor that's just two straps that aren't even covering her nipples. She's just like fully breasts out. Like yeah. she like pulls back her cape and she's might as well just be topless at that point. Oh, for but sure. What are the straps doing? <laughs> I guess, uh, you know, just a little bit of flair. Just uh, for for lactation purposes, fashion. <laughs> yeah, I guess it holds the cape on. I don't know. I I wasn't thinking too hard about the wardrobe, but uh, 
yeah, Deathstalker I, I highly recommend them. Dude, so Deathstalker is kind of like a gritty version of Conan. We actually get some um, like alternate humanoids in there. There's a bar scene. Oh, okay. Deathstalker, my main gripe with it is there's like five of them. And they have the Silent Night, Deadly Night problem where the first movie clearly had more of a budget and they had some shots that they felt were evergreen. So there's a moment where a dude's getting dragged from horseback. Like he's like, you know, I can't remember if it's like a noose or if he's just last. No, it's his hands are tied and he's being dragged because that they reuse in part two to like pad the running time. Uh, But I leave, I believe there's two different versions and one version doesn't have that sequence. Oh, Uh, what? I, I think maybe, maybe double check my fact check me on that one, but I do believe there are multiple versions. Yeah, that it, I don't know why I, I love film and the format. And that's the one thing that's been a pet peeve with me forever is the reuse of footage to pad something. And I'm pretty sure Deathstalker, they use it in every, every. Oh, yeah. Um, well, installation. The, that like bar slash orgy scene in the first one. They basically yep. just lift they lift at least like 20 shots from that and stick it into the bar scene in part two just to fill that out. Because there's so many isolated cutaways of just like naked girl standing in a corner or like pig man, eat, pig like, man. Looking, like picking up a roast pig's head and like cocking his head a little bit like what the <laughs> hell. So they like definitely reuse that part. Um, and then there's like battle scenes at the end that I think are from Barbarian Queen, another Roger Corman like fantasy type movie. He did oh a whole bunch, God. and I think he reuses like the Battle Beyond the Stars score for all of them, if I'm remembering co- correctly. Uh, he gets he really gets the most out of that score, and then yeah, like he just repurposes footage from all of them and cycles them around to different movies. Damn, man, I'm so pumped that you're a fantasy fan. It's, it's such a, like, as a dude who, you know, I've met a lot of people in an Alamo lobby and you can uh-huh. really just bring up anything, like any film thing. And people will be like, oh, interesting. You brought, you fucking bring up Deathstalker. I've <laughs> never seen people's eyes glaze over so quick or just be like, <laughs> oh, really? Like I've had, I've had long conversations about like Medea movies in there where people are arguing <laughs> it should be released on Criterion. And I'm like, you know, and, and I bring up like Conan. And I'm like, you know, Conan's a great movie. And instantly, they're half foot out of this conversation. Yeah, see, if, like, well, if I was there and you said that, you'd see me like, I would like emerge from the darkness with a drink and just be like, I'm listening. <laughs> <laughs> well, the thing is, you know, Conan is like cinematically, it's a Western film. And oh, yeah. we're, hitting, we're hitting all of the great narratives of like a Western movie, except there's a little bit more going on. There's a giant snake and a fantasy element. And Arnold's unlike any other lead at the time. He was a giant and, Austrian. Yeah, and I'm like, you know, it's one of those problems I have with culture, popular culture, is instead of turning down a road where it's like, let's reimagine the Western and really like, you know, do like post-apocalyptic, we're back in the Iron Age, but there's technology or something. And they went the, let's get a greased up European model and give them a sword. And then, and it turned into like sword and sandal garbage, which I fucking hate. There's big men in any of that. Nope. and, and I'm like, what happened to that world? So, you know, we dig up and find a Deathstalker, and that movie becomes, like, elevated. Oh, yeah. What, what, what other, like, how do you feel about Conan? I, honestly, as a kid, I was, like, always let down by Conan. I don't think it works too great for kids. No. It, because, it like, 
a lot of the fantasy stuff is pretty muted in it, I find. But mm-hmm. the older I got, the more I fell in love with it. It's definitely a movie that aged really well for me. And I've grown into, especially the score. I think the soundtrack yeah. for the first Conan movie, Basil Polidorus' score, is the best score. Like, I would put it up there with, like, Star Wars or something. It's so good. I play it all the time, much to the chagrin of uh, the other people at the effect shop I work at. But it's really? just, it's so epic. Like, you can't top it. And I think it's, like, 50% of why that movie is so great. Oh, fuck yeah. The score. Now, here's another thing. At Amoeba. Amoeba, you know, they have a great... Or Amoeba's out here. They're kind of like a secondhand retailer for video. And yeah, they have a lot okay. of... And um, that's kind of where, you know, they have a little tiny fantasy section that mostly just has a million copies of The Lord of the Rings in it. And yeah. every, every now and then you can find something else. And I remember... I found the soundtrack in there. Like somebody had abandoned it. And I went, oh shit, I need to own this on CD. I just want the physical copy. I didn't even look at it. Do you know what these motherfuckers priced that CD at? $11. What? $80. That's very high. Jesus, that's and, a little bit much. But they knew. Because the thing is, that it's a legit soundtrack. And it, it instantly made me think of like, where are the other people buying this? Yeah. Like, I want to talk to them, but I, Clark, <laughs> I know this is bumming you out. <laughs> Just let me know when fantasy talk. No, is no. Right. Okay. But uh, before we leave fantasy talk, you and your little pig man and your dragons, w- where are you with Ator? You know what? I've never seen Ator. Okay. I, Ator. Here's good. You know, it's really not Ator the fighting eagle. I believe I have is the first tour on my computer. <laughs> Thank you so much. <laughs> no, you don't. You're terrified. That's fair. Well. Randy won't put it on my computer. Okay. So yeah, Ator the Fighting Eagle. It's pretty lame. Uh, if you look it up on IMDb, you may know the director. But uh, we do get a giant uh, plush spider as a villain in there. Sweet. And that's pretty cool. Now, here, you know, as a film fan, one of the ones I like to hold close to my uh, chest, one of my secret movies that I like to bring up and show people how cool I am, here we go. is um, Ator 5. <laughs> which, also, which also is known as uh, The Quest for the Mighty Sword. Okay. The Mighty Sword. Uh, Steven. They made it to five, huh? The Quest for the Mighty Sword. Watch that movie. I All think, right. oh man, I hate bring. I don't want to put this out there. <laughs> I think it's, incom- it's complete on uh, YouTube. But uh, just to show how good it is, um, Oksana, who does everything behind the scenes on the show and uh, dates me for some reason. On my birthday, spent a hundred dollars on getting me a VHS tape that came. I oh, I think a, it came a, it, a VHS of a tour five. I, <laughs> I like, yeah. So a hundred dollars, and um, also Stephen, I'm looking at the uh, poster art for this, and guess what the rating is for Quest of the Mighty Sword? Oh God, <laughs> what? That's right, PG. Whoa, <laughs> perfect. <laughs> So, well, now I'm sold. Now, um, this may seem off topic, but I promise you uh, I'm going somewhere with it. Have you seen Troll 2? Yeah, has has been a while, though. Uh, I mean, I don't have that movie memorized like a lot of people do. It's hilarious, and I love it. Uh, why do you ask? Well, okay, so in Troll 2, um, a lot of the... Uh, 
unintentional comedy comes from the fact that they refer to uh, the humanoids or the demi-humans as uh, goblins. And a lot of the puppets are just, you know, not the best looking. And there are a couple of goblins in that movie that don't even have like eye holes cut in their mask. Like they have like paint on eyes. And um, so one of those is in, they casted that goblin as a major role in Quest for the Mighty Sword. (laughs) He he actually acts as the, uh, he's part of the prophecy because he raises young Ator and um, he's a blacksmith. So like a Uh third of that movie is a, you know, European muscle bound model acting against a terrible looking goblin puppet from troll Two. Yeah. I mean, this sounds right up my alley. This is exactly what I like is people acting against basically inanimate objects that are supposed to be characters. And uh, so I'm into it. If, if you're a fan of the pig man in death stalker, just wait till you see the bar scene in this movie because they opened up the closet to some Italian studio and just took anything that wasn't a human out. It- Great. <laughs> Great. No, it's cute. Okay, Clark, I'm sorry. Wait, 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 wait. One more. One more. I got a, rec- I got a question slash recommendation for you guys. Have Perfect. you ever seen the uh, 1999 straight to video Christopher Lambert vehicle Beowulf. Oh God, no! What is it called? It's Beowulf. Like it's oh, an adaptation it's- of you know the the ancient tale of Beowulf. Uh, oh. I know Robert Zemeckis made that animated movie a few years yeah. after, um, and I know like I had to read that story uh, in like my English literature class in university, uh, and so it's from the producers of Mortal Kombat. And, uh, so just earlier you had mentioned, uh, like fantasy settings and like set being set in the past, but having technology. And so I believe the back of the VHS for Beowulf claims that it takes place in the techno futile future, uh, which is a term, which is a term that I want to bring back. Uh, Not that it was ever a thing to begin with, but (laughs) I love it so much. So it's like in the future, but there's castles but the castles are powered by like, like there's like gas lamps and like, like chainsaw swords and like just all kinds of weird nonsense. Uh, and yeah, it's like they, it's like after mortal Kombat, they're like, we need something kind of like this. Why don't we adapt this ancient tale of Beowulf, but let's get Highlander in it and like bleach his hair white and, uh, get a stunt double for him that just backflips constantly. <laughs> and have a monster and just lots of uh, kicky punchy stuff. And uh, yeah, I think if you're looking for some of that fantasy nonsense, that's the movie for you. I, I have a special place amazing. in my heart for that movie. It looks great. He. It's also it's interesting because they didn't they didn't hide the fact that Highlander was an influence here at all. But oh no, they, it also kind of he strikes me as kind of what Witcher started doing. Like kind oh, of a- yeah, it's totally got some Witcher to it, where he's like this wandering uh, monster hunter man uh, that they like enlist to fight Grendel, which is attacking this castle that everyone's holed up in. Dude, it it's also like the the male protagonist has changed too. Where I guess at some point they realize that not many women really like an Arnold type body, and as somebody who you know, I spent a lot of time like trying to bodybuild and stuff. 
And, you know, people ask, like, why why do you do that? Like, women don't like that. And it's like, well, you don't do it for women. You do it because, you know, you have a weird brain thing going on. or I don't know what's what's happening. Some self-esteem issues. And uh, he clearly represents that departure. We're, we're not doing long hair. We're short crop. Yep. We're wearing, like, a lot of leather. He looks like he's going to be more nimble than, like, throwing people, like, ripping a car door off of a car. Well, yeah. it's very much a post the rock hero like i feel like nick cage in that movie was the start of it of the like maybe our heroes can be kind of like quippy like normal dudes instead of being a beefcake and so i think yeah late 90s and early 2000s definitely uh like experimented with that idea and i think beowulf capitalizes on that though i do think a lot of it is just like Lambert's Highlander and I imagine he sells well internationally and then also <laughs> same producers as Mortal Kombat so they were like you played Raiden why don't you play Beowulf in, in this movie so I think there was definitely like he probably walked off of one set and onto the other one as well I think you sounding like a producer now <laughs> <laughs> well, no, I wish <laughs> I wish I produced 90s straight to video uh, <laughs> fantasy sci-fi techno movies that's like now. How, now how was the score? In oh god! Uh, okay, well, did you like the score in Mortal Kombat? I bet you did. So it's more of, of that. Of course, I did. It's so much techno. It's and like so horribly out of place as well. Mm. Like absurdly out of place. Where you're like, this fantasy movie does not need this like pulsing beat in the background every like, every thirty seconds. Like every big budget '90s movie, like that Paul Oakenfold shit. Oh yeah, and it was great, and Where I desperately wanted to come back. I, well, I, I really think, think it was Mortal Kombat. Mortal Kombat was like the first movie to be like, "Here's here's the movie, and also here's the soundtrack you're gonna want to buy." Like it, it I think popularized that idea of like get a bunch whatever the like hot artists are right now, like put them in this movie somehow, and then we can sell, <laughs> then we can make money on CDs. Because I feel like every movie after that suddenly was all about like the soundtrack and then also the like music inspired by Batman Forever or whatever. Oh yeah. So oh you're totally right. Nineties was the era of like the soundtrack that had nothing to do with the movie. Like I remember yep. Blair Witch Two had one. And it's like where the fuck is a, a Dima or whatever? Yeah. Like yeah. yeah, and it was packaged with the DVD if I remember correctly. Oh, or I think right. it might have yeah. been a DVD I, 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 maybe I'm wrong, but I have a vague memory of it being called like a DVD CD. Like you could watch the movie on the DVD, but yep. then also put it in your CD player and play the soundtrack. <laughs> Let's get back there. <laughs> Please. No. That's, no, it's weird, but like, that's kind of the era my brain is at right now. I've been deep diving into a lot of that stuff because it's like, it was a, a very formative time in my youth. Like I was in, I believe like junior high and high school, like, late nineties, early two thousands. And so all that stuff is really like melted into my brain in a weird way. Like, uh, recently I've been rewatching and, uh, like looking up articles on that show. Lex, do you remember that show? Oh, I never watched it. I know it though. Exactly. It was a show that I don't think anyone I knew watched, but it's like a weird, like sci-fi kind of like Dune meets Star Trek but like a little hornier. Like I just remember there being (laughs) like, like always teasing like bits of like skin, like shower scenes and stuff and lots of bad CG, but it feels like such a 
like perfect encapsulation of that era. And so I've been like watching scenes from it and like watching behind the scenes clips and stuff. And so I'm, I'm all about that era right now. Whoa. I, you know, I've never watched it and I know the cover like so well, and I'm going through IMDb at the pictures. I'm like, why the fuck didn't I watch this? (laughs) Well, as I'm, as I'm watching it, I'm like, this is actually like pretty great. Like it's so unbelievably weird that I feel like stuff now wishes it could be this weird. And it's also like very Canadian. Like it was shot in, it was shot in Nova Scotia and it has like a very distinct, like bit of Canadian spice to it that I think makes it very charming and and makes it stand out from whatever else was going on at the time. It's such a bizarre offbeat show. It kind of looks like Farscape to me. Yeah. Oh, it's definitely like, and I think Farscape was after, but it, it feels like it, it's in that kind of world for sure, where it's like trying to embrace more like kind of alien cultures and ideas and just, yeah, being as weird and, uh, not geometrical as possible, if that makes sense. Like it's a very, uh, organic sci-fi show in its visuals. Um, Clark, I apologize. <laughs> You're so lost, and I. What are you talking about? I'm I'm right there. No. I'm on the starship with you, baby. Yeah, you like weird stuff. You watched uh, Happy Time Murders. We got puppets and people in that. Was that what it was called? The Happy Time Murders. Let yeah, me tell you something. holds up. <laughs> Steven, does it hold up? What Happy Time Murders? I've never yeah. seen it. <laughs> Sorry. Go ahead. Explain yourself. You can't just throw <laughs> guests under the bus with Happy Time Murders. I what haven't watched it either because we're watching shit no like Lex. Watched it. <laughs> Made like three dollars. All right, so I'm Steve, when, when we talked to you several weeks ago, the film was about to come out, and now <laughs> now you're a couple of re- weeks removed from the release. And I'll tell you, like everyone we've talked to loved the film. Like one of our our friends in New Orleans, who's a special effects artist, and let me tell you something his his heart is as ice cold as they come, <laughs> and he has said that Psycho Gorman's is his favorite movie of all time. So you've certainly like hit a chord with people. So. Are you the kind of person that you're able to, now the movie's out, are you able to sort of enjoy the success of that or is it on to the next one? Uh, I mean, I, I'm a bit of a workaholic. So I've been working at the effects shop uh, that's down the street for me, Masters Effects, uh, on a few shows. So I've been busy with that. And yeah, I mean, I've been enjoying the success for sure. It's been great. Uh, like the response has been awesome. I've just, you know, I'm still putting in 40 hours a week, uh, making gore gags for the boys. So it's, uh, you know, it's, it's just a lot going on right now. Let's put it that way. It's kind of overwhelming, uh, all the, the great response to the movie, but then also just trying to like manage all this other shit in my life. So yeah, for sure. just business, which is business as usual for me. I feel like downtime is like a thing I don't really embrace too well. Uh, even like during quarantine, like when we were in a hard lockdown last year uh, with COVID, like I was like, huh, well I should make like an entire stop motion animated show in my apartment <laughs> because, because I can only play doom eternal so many times before I want to get productive. So I force myself to, yeah, buckle down and just bust my ass doing stop motion. So, yeah, it's hard for me to sit still. Wait, what is the stop motion show? 
Uh, it's a thing that like may never see the light of day. It was just like a thing I was doing for fun. Uh, it's called Weirdo World, and it's I don't even know how to summarize it. It's kind of like a like robot talk show host who has guests on his show that he sometimes kills and then sometimes just has weird conversations with. Um, Very much like the show. Continue. <laughs> yep. Yes. Is that a threat? Uh, <laughs> you passed the test so far. He does like Al yeah. Adams. <laughs> <Uh-oh>. <laughs> Would you like to be my live-in contractor? Thanks. <laughs> um, so, yeah, I mean, it, it kind of was just making it up as I went along, and it got its own personality as I was making it, and just making it out of like found objects and stuff that I had in my apartment that I could animate. So it started as just like a fun thing to pass the time. Like I would animate, and I'd have. I don't know if you guys are familiar with the app Tubi. Uh, oh yeah, the streaming app. Uh, it's chock full of great garbage to put on in the background, and so I put, you know, whatever random movie on, like Transfers Three or whatever, and hell yeah, <laughs> animate stuff uh, late into the night every night. So yeah, I mean, I did how many episodes? I think I've got like eight, like little two minute episodes that I've done. Uh, I'm gonna. I actually have the trailer for it hidden on the uh hunky boys edition of the pg blu-ray um, oh so you'll have to you'll have to play there's like a little game apparently on it that you have to play to like find some of the hidden features so you have to play that game to uh track oh, it down. I, dude i love that now there is that on the like special edition coming out because who's putting out yeah that well well rlj is putting out their blu-ray like the u.s blu-ray but then there's also the Canadian Blu-ray being put out by Raven Banner, yeah, Raven uh, Banner, who, because of my, uh, you know, my long relationship with them, going all the way back to Manborg, I threw some like extra bonus features at them, and they're making kind of a special edition of the movie, um, like a little bit more of a collector's version for people. Yep. So it's got extra commentaries, um, and then also through like a few uh shorts and then this trailer for weirdo world so biocop is hidden on there as well and then a, there's another biocop short that i did as like a kickstarter or as a indiegogo incentive for the void so that's on there as well hidden away so yeah no that's it's, awesome uh, the uh, definitive to uh, definitive version of the movie uh currently as far as i know yeah i was very excited to see raven banner putting that out we had a Chris and Lee are buddies who did dead dicks on here and oh, yeah. they got a Raven banner treatment and man, it's fucking good. Yeah. I, I it's one of those things where we, I got a lot of friends who collect Blu-rays and when I shared that link for psycho Gorman around, uh, we got many thank yous to spend what, like $50 on a Blu-ray and I, yeah, wow. I couldn't be more excited to be getting my copy. That's great. Oh. No, it's like, they've been, uh, I think, kind of overwhelmed with orders on the movie. And even RLJ was saying the same thing. Like it was like the best selling Blu-ray, I think like, and that's on, on a pre-order, I believe on like the first day that it came out. So that's a pretty, it's a pretty big deal. It means people want yeah. PG. No, I mean, you know, Psycho Gorman or organically came to me in a conversation like, Oh God, uh, we were playing D and somebody mentioned that, uh, their buddy had texted him like, Hey, uh, have you seen Psycho Gorman yet? And like, they're not like film guys. They don't really like live in horror like we do. And that rarely happens. But when it does, it's like, oh shit, this is kind of big. Like it came out 
like through conversation organically, not because of me. So, I mean, right here, we was Patton Oswald's been tweeting about your damn movie. Yeah, he well, he was kind of like he went on a bit of a binge with the tweets about it there. Like it seemed like <laughs> he, he tweeted more than I was expecting. You know, I I saw that he was excited about the trailer and I thought that was cool, but then when he did watch it, yeah, he seemed uh, pretty blown away, which is awesome. That I think that got us a lot of traction. Now, Steve, here is a negative thing with this, is that <laughs> Patton Oswalt actually is not a fan of Carnival Magic, <laughs> for the record. I do know this Uh-oh. is a fact. Well, yeah. that's going to put a, that's, that's a bit of a speed bump with us fast-tracking this remake, that's for sure. I know, right? <laughs> I know. Yeah, Clark had uh, comedic differences when, um, what, Patton Oswalt was doing the Mystery Science Theater? Yeah, they, they, they chose Carnival Magic as one of the uh, films for Mystery Science Theater. <laughs> and so you were just sitting there with your arms crossed, like, yeah. fuming. Yeah, participate. Is there oh, ripping on this book? Of this classic. How do you feel yeah. about the whole, like, riff tracks thing? I mean, I like it. I, I did, it's another thing I didn't really grow up on like mystery science theater. I actually remember renting the movie when it came out and as a kid, like I didn't understand even what it was. And so I'm watching it and I like partway through, was it this Island earth? I think they're watching being like, yeah. Oh, is this, is this the whole movie? Like it's just them <laughs> watching and, and riffing on a movie. Like I did not understand the concept until I actually watched the movie and then I got it. Um, I don't know. I mean, all of it to me just feeds into this culture that's emulating a thing that I very much miss, which is just sitting and watching shitty movies and laughing at them with my friends. Like it was so much of my childhood, uh, and even like my teenage years, like growing up with my friends, renting shitty movies on the weekend and just laughing our asses off at the most insane stuff. Uh, yeah. I mean, it was just so many like good memories f- from those times. And so like movie podcasts, the like mystery science theater, uh, all that kind of stuff to me is just like, it, that's how I get my fix of that now. So I, I appreciate it existing. I mean, you can definitely go too far with it and <laughs> like, like it becomes, it, it, and I don't even have like a specific example. I just feel like it, it can be like low hanging fruit to, oh, yeah. to be like, yeah, let's, let's shit on Manos hand of fate again, you know, yeah. like, or like, let's talk about the room some more. Like at a certain point it's like, yeah, okay, why don't we like do something fresh? But, yeah. uh, I don't know. I find a lot of these, uh, guys that do this kind of stuff are pretty good at finding weird, obscure gems. Uh, though I don't feel like anybody gives uh, the movie Abraxas the love that it deserves. It's one of my favorite bad movies, and I used to watch it obsessively in university. Like It was the ultimate shitty movie to me, and I find nobody seems to have latched onto it in the way that I have, so that's a little disappointing. Yeah, I've never seen it, but I'm looking at it now, and it's got that um, aesthetic of a 90s sci-fi thing. And well, I think it's, it's also a 90s Canadian sci-fi movie. Like It was shot, I think, somewhere in Ontario, and it just has that shitty video look to it. Uh, With Jesse the Body so awesome. Ventura? <laughs> yeah, so it's, yeah, so it's basically, it's, well, it's Jesse Ventura and also 
uh, Sven Olthorsen, yeah, uh, Arnold Schwarzenegger's workout buddy, who mm. is in all his movies. He's the villain in Abraxas, and so it's kind of like they took Terminator and were like, "Can we do this without robots?" Maybe, <laughs> and so so it's just these two guys like chasing each other in blue like mechanics jumpsuits while like sexy jazz plays in the background because for some reason the soundtrack is all saxophone and it's so it just makes things like like just feels way more like softcore than it needs to be when it's supposed to be like an action scene um i love it it's just such a weird movie like I I've obsessed over it so much. I don't even know what to say about it anymore at this point. It's just, you got to watch it. And honestly, it's a thing you'll watch it and you'll probably just be like, this is kind of underwhelming. This isn't very good. But then like certain lines and moments will just hang with you and you'll be like, I need to watch that again. And then you'll go back and it'll start to like eat into your brain the way it ate into mine. And now it's like a thing that just the lines and there's so much dialogue in that movie. That's just part of my vernacular now. Like I can't escape it. So no, I'm totally dude. Uh, you sold me. I, you know, I, I think part of the culture of being a horror fan or just like a genre fan is kind of like trying to find the diamond in the rough. And yet the nineties has been so long ignored. And Oh Yeah. It's it's time to really break it open. I I yeah, I'm psyched to watch this. Also, I looked up the the director Damian Lee. Have you dug into his filmography? Well, I do know that he's in Abraxas. He plays one oh, of the characters. He actually presented I went to a screening of it in Toronto that he did uh, a Q&A at. Um that was super awesome. Though I have not really dug into his other films. Yeah, there's one uh, that he wrote called Ice Girls. <laughs> I'm telling you, I'm intrigued. Uh-huh. Look look at that fucking uh, poster. We just got a couple of uh, ice skating yep. girls. And- <laughs> Sassy ice skating girls trying to outpose one another. The poet? Oh, man, I can feel the drama from that already, too. All right. Um, I like this movie. I like the one that's called Thunderground. Oh, I think, <laughs> he's, just a, I think he's just a producer on that one. Boo. Uh, Russell, do you have anything else uh, for Steve before we let him go? Are you trying he to gets let him to, go? Uh, well, I mean, Steve has to take a nap and decompress from this uh, trauma that we put him through. I don't. I feel like this was not uh, one of the more abrasive interviews he's done. Also, Stephen, this, this is exactly what I want to do on this show. I just, I would like to have guests be comfortable and then just talk about like fucking Ator. You just want to talk at him <laughs> yep. for forty minutes? I'm into it. No, this is what I want. These are the conversations that I miss having at film festivals and at movie screenings and stuff. So this is how I get my fix. What did did you get to tour with Psycho Gorman at all, or did it miss? The Not whole at festival? all. So it was yeah. supposed to premiere at South by Southwest in 2020. The premiere date was uh, March 13th, which oh. of course was like the day that the whole world decided to shut down. We actually, we knew it was canceled, I believe the Monday before it was supposed to premiere on a Friday. Um, and I was like, so bummed. But then me and my girlfriend decided like, you know what, let's just go to Austin anyway. Like we booked everything. We booked our hotel, our flights and everything. We're like, let's just go because this COVID thing doesn't seem that bad, right? Like yeah. it'll yep. blow over. It'll be fine. 
So we actually went to Austin still and just kind of like had a little vacation. But then while we were there, uh, things just got worse and worse and worse until we were like, let's book a flight home tomorrow. (laughs) And so we only stayed for a few days and then flew back on the Sunday and got back like just in time uh, before like the airports were shut down and everything just totally locked down. So it was insane that we managed to squeeze in a brief vacation before we weren't allowed to have vacations anymore. Uh, So then after that, the movie did play festivals um, like around the world. It did a bunch of fests and apparently did really well. We wanted it to only do physical screenings. We didn't do any digital ones uh, just because at the time piracy seemed like, you know, before the movie's even officially released to risk that just, did not seem like a good idea. Sure. Uh, so yeah, it played a bunch of fest, did a bunch of drive-in screenings places. So it definitely got out there. I'm just sad that I couldn't go and enjoy it with an audience. And like, that really is the most depressing part for me right now is like, this is a movie you watch with a crowd because there's so yeah. many setups and payoffs that I wanted to gauge like how the audience reacted to them. And I haven't been able to do that at all. I've just kind of been able to just based off of internet conversations, see how stuff has gone over. So I hope that there's a time in the future where I can watch this movie in a theater with people and uh, see how they react to it. Cause that's, it's kind of an important moment of catharsis for a filmmaker. Like you do that all I've always done that, like had some kind of screening where I'm watching with people that I can just conclusively like let out that, like that breath of like, okay, it's done. I can, it's out there in the world and people can enjoy it. I can move on with my life. So I'm still waiting on that experience. If, if the world ever comes back to normal and I mean, we're out here in San Francisco, we have so many theaters that are shut down right now and all of them all. Yeah. But I mean, there's just a lot of them in general. And the minute one of them's willing to open up, we got to start showing movies and Oh man, uh, we got to do a Psycho Gorman Abraxas double feature. <laughs> that would so, be good. Yeah, once this thing's gone, Jesse Ventura's not doing anything. We can get him. <laughs> He's in Mexico. Yeah, he lives in Mexico now, right? Because uh, I don't yeah, speak he's... any Mexican. I only know Cerveza. <laughs> That's the only word you need to know, dude. Uh, man, did you I also used... listen to his Joe Rogan interview? Yes. <laughs> That's, that's all I remember from that three-hour yep. conversation. It was it a very long, man. rambling conversation, but it oh, was good. Yeah. God damn. The only thing I remember from Jesse is him laying down the only serious theory of how reptiles might be real. <laughs> and he was like, he's like, think about it this way. What animals speak? And we're like, what? And he's like, birds. <laughs> and he's like, people say birds are lizards. He's like, so lizards could talk. And I'm like, oh. That is is the same, like, mentality that they had in Monty Python with witches. Oh, yeah. (laughs) I know. And then you cut you cut to Joe listening, being like, "Uh uh-huh, uh-huh. Hey, have you ever you ever you ever tried elk meat before? Yeah. Oh god. Yeah, well, Joe goes he goes on his little rants about talking to elves and uh, you know, on peyote or DMT. God damn it. Using his crossbow or whatever. Yeah, for sure. That's great. So, yeah, we we oh, man, I want to watch Psycho Gorman in theaters so bad. I it would totally be a thing the Alamo would jump all over too. So when when the oh, world comes yeah. back to normal, we're gonna harass you. We're gonna get you out here. That's yes, my please. That's, that's 
that is what I want to do more than anything. You don't even have to ask. Just assume it's a yes and just send me a, just, just send me my hotel booking and I'll, I'll get over there. Party time. Yeah. All right. Well, Steve, before we cut you loose, anything you want to plug, any social media things, websites, anything you got coming up? I mean, if people want to check out my Instagram, it's at kill Kostansky. That's where I've been posting all my work behind the scenes stuff and random photos I've been digging up from psycho Gorman. Uh, and yeah, it's basically all I got going on right now. I'm just fully in PG world and working at the shop on the boys and umbrella Academy. So yeah, it's going to be a busy year. Perfect. Well, stay busy, man. Yeah. And congratulations, dude, your, your film, you can really tell the internet's embraced it and that's the only humanity left on this planet. (laughs) Oh, it's been, it's been a very good feeling after like an indecisive year of like waiting for this thing to come out and wondering like, is this even relevant anymore? Is this even going to land with people? So it has been nice seeing that the movie's been embraced and has its audience and the internet is totally having its way with it. And all the fan art and stuff is really great. So yeah, I, I feel good right now. A lot of good fan art. Oh, Steven, we love you, man. Thank you for coming back on. And uh, I hope, well, I hope we didn't bore you to death. You didn't. That was great. (laughs) Let's do it again. Let's do it. Thanks, Steve. For sure. All right. Bye, guys. Bye.